What is up, friends? We are back for season two of NC Raw. We are hitting the new year running with seven episodes scheduled for the month of January. It's hard to believe we knocked out like 41 episodes in 2018, which something that just kind of started out as like a hobby or really a dream uh, evolved into something so amazing to the point where we've, uh, we've grown and... Um, I'm, I have a goal for 2019 of doing 60 to 70 episodes. So, um, like I said, we got seven scheduled and this one right here, we are hitting the gates running. My man, Mr. Philip Cooper joins me on the show. Philip is a career navigator for AB tech where he works with reoffenders and helping them find jobs. And, um, he's also a man of faith involved in, heavily evolved in the recovery communities in, in Asheville. Dude is a rock star. It was an awesome conversation. Um, amazing dude. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I hope you guys do too. Um, so yeah, give it up for my dog, Mr. Philip Cooper. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Philip Cooper. Yes, sir. In the building. Nice to meet you, bro. Yes, sir. Good I, to be here. I appreciate you taking me up on the offer and coming over to have a conversation tonight. And I'm blessed to be a blessing, my brother. I heard so much about you from literally everybody that comes on this show. Anybody from Asheville that's been on the show, your name's been dropped on here. And I was like, I got to get this guy on the show, man. I got this got to get this guy on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you been out to the weed before, man? You, you go to school out here? Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to school out here, my brother. Um, I was in the, the BSBA, Computer Information Systems Program, believe it or not, as, as flamboyant. And random as I am, can you picture me working in IT? I I can, <laughs> I can, dude. I really can. I really can. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I was going to school down here, and uh, I was driving. I was actually, I would get off work at AB Tech. I would get off early and um, hit the road, come down here, go to class, and sometimes even run back and then work till seven. Wow. Yeah, perseverance, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> 
we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to that. Yeah, okay. Yes, uh, but first, I want to know what's a change agent, man. Where'd you come up with that? Oh man. So change agent. Uh, I want to say I first heard it when I was in school. Uh, when I was working on my two year degree in human services, I can remember hearing change agent, and I ran with it. But I also heard it was a dude named Felipe Pinnell. He was a guy who uh released uh quote unquote maniacs. He set people free because they tr- they they were treating people with mental mental illness like you know they, like caged animals, and he kind of came and set people free. But change agent was a word that was used, and it's it's just basically a person who was affecting change, a person that's a bridge, a person that can contribute to wellness. You know, a person who um who is willing to represent recovery proudly. A person that will go the extra mile, you know, uh, clock out, but, you know, change agency never stops. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't just run with it. You branded it, son. Facts. Uh-huh. I, I need to. I, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. Somebody probably got that incorporated, though, already. Yeah. I'm sure change agent Cooper's out there waiting for you. Facts. Um. So how'd you get here, man? Like, what's your... Tell me a little bit, a little bit of your story, like where you're from. How'd you, how did you land in the recovery scene as this, like, as this kind of somebody, somebody that everybody looks up to, bro? You know, well, like. Well, to be honest, man, like, uh, I bounced around. Like, I'm a straight North Carolina. You see, I got it tatted, bro. I right got there. the state yes, tatted sir. on my forearm. <laughs> Crazy, but um, I was born in Forest City, North Carolina. You know, I'm a country boy now, but uh. Uh, I, I was born in Forest City, and then my mom moved. We, my mom and dad moved to uh, Cleveland County. We stayed in Shelby, a little town called Lawndale, and then my mom and I eventually moved to Hickory, and I stayed in Hickory until about the eighth grade, you know, and um, started getting out of hand. And my mom uh, allowed me to come live with my dad so that I could get straightened up, straightened out, you know, because uh, my dad had uh, came up here and got his stuff together. He's a veteran and big up to all the veterans that's tuning in. But he's a veteran. He came up here, got his stuff straightened out, and I came and lived with him. And that's how I ended up in Asheville. But as far as, like, uh, recovery, man, I played around for a while, bro. Like, you want to talk about diversion. Like, I figured – I took advantage of any type of diversion that was in existence at that time. It wasn't a lot like it is now, but like I went to Dark Cherry, you know, I was on probation and going to meetings to get my sheet signed. But then I caught a very serious charge and that was the best thing that prison was the best thing that ever happened to me going to prison because at that moment I could sit down and I could work on myself, you know, cause I was, I'm a hustler, you know? So when I was using, I was I was always able to use because I was always able to hustle up the bread. And so when I went to prison, I felt that pain. And when I got out, I got out with a vengeance. I got out with a vengeance, bro. And I can remember correctional officers talking down to me like, you'll be back. I can remember some of the old heads in there that was like repeat offenders, you know, saying, you'll be back, saying stuff like that. So I had a point to prove. So when I got out, you know, um, and, and I went to meetings. I went to 12-step meetings when I was in prison. And shout out to this guy. It's a guy named John S., man. And he used to bring meetings into the the prison. You feel me? And he treated us with respect. He didn't treat us like an opus number. Actually, he had been to prison before himself, so he got it. And that had an impact on me, man. And so when I got out, I kept going to meetings. And um, and I was on the house arrest helped out, too, because I, I couldn't just go do what I wanted. And I was living like in BFE in Candler. And and so I had a point to prove. What, I, what year was that when you got out? I got out in 2011, March the 5th, 2011, bro. Um, and and when I got out, 
and I went to the meetings I could go to. Um, mostly a twelve thirty meeting I, I used to go to. I'm and I'm about to start back going to that twelve thirty meeting. Baby, can you hold me accountable for that? I'm really considering making that meeting we had talked about my home group. Like LeBron, I'm taking my talents to Silverdor. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, and I just kept doing it, and it wasn't a lot of young people in recovery like that when I got out. So I was still kind of like uh, I had a point to prove and. And me being in the city where I was from, like Asheville, I'm, you know, I've been living with Asheville most of my life. And so when I'm being in the city, I was seeing people I knew. So I had a point to prove to them, to, not a point to prove to them, but I was like, I'll show you, you know, I'll show y'all. And I started working steps. <laughs> and when I started working steps, it was life changing because I took the steps serious because I was really interested. And um, and it was life changing. And, um, you know, that that's pretty much how it started, but how my recovery really got strong was from pain, bro. Like surviving hits mm -hmm. and hits in recovery. Or, yes. Uh -huh. Hits surviving hard hits, bro. Like, you know, uh, uh, um, like the oppression in, in a, with a work culture, like having to survive that. Cause like with me now in the workforce, I had to get used to the work culture. And with me coming from prison and this, 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 uh, can't nobody change me motto. This is me. This is who I'm going to be. This is what it is. Um, that was it was difficult. So there were times I take I would take rage walks on and, and vape breaks. You know I I burn a coil out <laughs> in one day <laughs> on a rage break. <laughs> yeah, a rage break. And um, but making a lot of meetings and kicking it with people in recovery, specifically the predecessors. Yeah. You know, cause uh, you know the the old school they, they didn't really intimidate me. You know, because I, I got structure because I come from gang culture. You know what I'm saying? So I understood structure. So I understood you got something that I want. So I need to allow you to show me how to get there. I got that. You know, I learned that in the streets mm -hmm. and and I learned it and I started to apply it and it worked and it was magical to me. And that's what I still believe in to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, that like kind of moment in while you're incarcerated mm -hmm. that like influenced you or really like solidified that decision to commit yeah. yourself to, to oh. changing <laughs> Boy, it's funny. so i say this all the time right so i had a spiritual awakening i had a spiritual awakening before i had worked all the 12 steps right so i was in seg segregation i was in the hole and it's funny <laughs> i was in the hole and i'm this big guy you know and a gang affiliated you know some people knew who i was people knew who i was mm -hmm. And, you know, walk the yard big and bad, whatever. You know what I'm saying? This how, how long had you been in there before this at the, happened? At this time, probably about a year and a half. Because you'll notice my clean date is January the 16th, 2009. But I actually went in in early 2008. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I start. I wasn't, I didn't get clean. I got clean in prison because I was getting high in prison too. You know what I'm saying? But so about a year and a half in, but I was in SEG. And um and a mouse came in my room, right? And <laughs> and so I'm in the room and 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 I start and I see the mouse. I'm throwing everything, I'm throwing toothpaste, my little bucket, like my my slides, you know, pillars, making all this noise, and the CO telling me to shut up. You know, so like, shut the hell up, what's going on? Da, 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 da. I'm like, man, it's a mouse in my room, blah, 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 blah. And he laughing at me. And like it's funny to me at times, but it was so humiliating. And you know. Once it was all said and done, I'm sitting there in my cell like, is this life? 
You know what I'm saying? He'll get laughed at, scared, really afraid of this damn mouse. This little mouse. This little ass mouse. And I'm in here making all this noise, getting laughed at. And when I got out of SAG, you know, I was I was like back on the yard. I was skinny because when you when you go to the hole, you you get light skin and you lose a lot of weight because you don't have canteen. You know what I'm saying? And um, when I got back on the yard, I can remember going to meetings and stuff like that, and um, going to the meetings more and more, and and stop and I stopped hanging around with the people that I was hanging out with. Well, actually, when I got out the hole, a lot of the guys that I was hanging with had got shipped out, and and so. It was easy easier for me to start going to meetings because a lot of the guys that I was, you know, just like we say in, in recovery, change the playgrounds and playmates. Mm -hmm. When I got out the hole, a lot of them guys had shipped out. So I was just kind of like. You're almost like looking for your your identity. Facts. So to speak. Facts. And uh, it was a guy named Robert Robs, man. Uh, Lavelle is his name. He's a pastor. He actually lives in Forest City now. He's a uh, pre uh, he, he he's a pastor. Mm -hmm. And um and he's he was a guy that invested in me like he 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 was in cook school at Craig, and uh, I can remember him coming up to me and checking me like, hey bro, what you read? You reading anything? What you studying? And he he would challenge me to read the word, and he knew that I was a Christian. Like I it wasn't like I was flaunting my Christianity, but he knew I was a Christian because like at night I would read. I, I had got into reading Proverbs and Psalms, and so he was like g checking me, like asking me what I was studying and. And, like, he'd walk up on me on the yard, like, what's up, bro? How you doing today, man? Everything good? And it blew my mind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it blew my mind. Like, somebody actually gave it down. And me and him talked to this day, you know, and he's killing the game, bro. He really is. But he played a big part of that solidifying that change when I was in prison, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you had that backbone because you grew up in a Christian home? Yeah. My, my mom and my dad are both uh, Christian. And, you know, my mom, I can remember days – my mom used to wake up in the morning, listening to gospel music, praying, speaking in tongues, shouting in her room every morning, like every single morning. That was your alarm clock. Yeah, that was crazy. It was, I'm telling you, that was like consistent with my mama. And she, you know, she's a country, she's a country girl. You know, she grew up in Cleveland County, you know, and, it, you know, and uh, that's how she was. And my dad, you know, he's he's always been involved in the church, even through his his hard times. He was still committed to the church. So the God thing wasn't an issue for me. Like when I was tripping, it was just it was me pouting and being rebellious on purpose. Yeah. I still knew God was God, but I was just like, I ain't got time for you right now. Maybe later. Yeah. You know. <laughs> now growing up, did you have any type who were your role models? Like did you have anybody that's that's the crazy coming part. from like a Christian home? Yeah. Was there anybody that in your life that was a role positive models? role model? Yeah. Well see, the thing is like my my mom was a believer and when and my dad my mom was a believer, rest in peace. She passed away May the twenty second of uh twenty eighteen. And my dad is a believer, but they wasn't together. And they both had their struggles. Like I can say I come from a dysfunctional home, but we was but it was but they done a good job with me, you yeah. know, because they instilled values in me and stuff. But you know, growing up in the projects in some of them important years, like up until like I said, the eighth grade, I looked up to deep dope dealers. Mm -hmm. You know, I idolized them. I was, you know, I really wanted to be them. They were like God to me. Like I see them pulling up back in the day, they had them spinning rims, bro. You remember the <laughs> yeah, spinners yeah. on the cat? It was twenties back yeah, then. Huh? You know? <laughs> Pull up on them twenties with them spinning rims. I'm like, oh, look at God. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Step out with the chain on. Mm -hmm. You know, all the girls like him, and he fresh. You know, you wanted, I wanted, that, you wanted some of that. Yeah, I wanted that. I mm -hmm. wanted people to look at me the way that I was looking at them. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, those was my role models. And I ended up getting in, the, you know, doing what they, they did at a young age, too, bro. Like, I, 
the first the first rock I ever sold, I was twelve. Wow. I was twelve, and that's that's a fact. Would you say that some of those um some of those values that your family instilled in you mm-hmm. were what allowed you to kind of thrive in recovery at like to kind of hit the floor running in recovery because you had those values to kind of lean on? Well, this this is what I'll say about recovery. So the fellowship that I attend, it's, it's, a, it's a simple spiritual, not religious program, right? But what I will say is God put that program in my life to help me get closer to him. You know, and I heard many people say this before, like people go to church to keep from going to hell. People go to recovery meetings to keep from going back to hell. And so what happened in recovery was these same values that my parents had and were doing their best to put into place were spiritual principles. When I got into recovery, the step work made me focus on spiritual principles. And so spiritual principles, they weren't foreign to me. So when I start looking at them, I started being able to say, okay, I'm working on honesty right now. I'm working on courage right now. You know, I'm working on humility. I'm not being humble right now. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? As opposed to being a yes man, you know, I'm people pleasing right now. So this this ain't this ain't what I need to be doing because this doesn't show me being courageous. Mm-hmm. So recovery just taught me how to sharpen the application of those spiritual principles on purpose. Because it was easy yeah. for you to relate to them. Right. Because right. of what you had. But, and plus, you know, and you know with the steps, you you basically I basically had to look at either my past and what went wrong, how I was feeling then, you know, because I'm in the fourth step, you know, the spiritual, the primary spiritual principle of the fourth step is courage. So now I'm courageous enough to look at my past. What was going on then? Where was I insecure at? You know what I'm saying? And 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 then when I get to my sixth step, my sixth step, I'm looking at, you know, my defects now. You know, how am I acting on these defects? So when you ask that question, you know, about the values, was it easier to 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 operate within those values and thrive in recovery because they raised me that way, it's it's really hard to say. Cause I know some people that was raised better than I was, and they ended up worse off than yeah. I was, even monsters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's really hard mm-hmm. to say, bro. That's a good question, but it's really hard to say. Yeah. I only asked that because of, of like a lot of um in my personal experience, yeah. a lot of what why it's I've been able to kind of um kind of accept and kind of like grow personally, spiritually, all those things and kind of like really accept where I'm at in my life and Mm -hmm. like work my program and all those things because of those values. Most importantly, like the work ethic that my my Mm -hmm. pops taught me at like such an early age. It was like, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it the best that you can. Best that you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, And like, because of that, like I remember like walking into the treatment center thinking like, okay, like, this is it. Like, mm-hmm. this is my new life. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Right. And I never look back because I had that high sense of work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, and among many other, many other values and many yeah. other things, but that was like probably the most important ones that like, I'm going to do whatever I do. I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, so what happened next? And what was like, you settling over in Candler. You got out. You're yeah, man. <laughs> man, I was in Candler, bro. It was crazy. It was like the only black family within a damn 25 mile radius. Yeah, <laughs> it was weird, man. Like I'd be on the edge going to the grocery store because you know when you go deep country, you know how racism can be. Mm-hmm. You know when I was fresh out of prison, big as hell with dreads. 
you know, so tatted up. You know, I was getting funny looks, and it was unc- hell. It was times I'd be at the grocery store, and I felt like I was on a yard with wow. with potential issues from the other side. But recover- how, how did you how did you handle those experiences? How those Recover- moments? It, it was all recovery, bro. Like yeah. I'm the kind of guy. Like early in re- like now, I don't have to call my sponsor as much as I used to mm-hmm. because my network is on fleek. Mm-hmm. And and for the viewers who don't know what on fleek is, it means that my network was impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> but but like back then, like I was blowing my sponsor up. I was always talking to people about my uncomfortable emotions, like. Like, I'd be like, man, I might even call somebody when I was in the grocery store. Like, man, this mom keep looking at me like I'm telling you, bro. And then they'll be like, man, you ain't on the yard no more. What you trying to do? Go back. And just a person saying something that simple would tone me down. Mm-hmm. Just that reminder. You know, iron sharpens iron. But I got through that, you know, um, get back home and school and work and things how, like that. How quickly did you get into school? ASAP. Right away? ASAP, yeah, man. Because by the time that I was released from prison, I was working for this program called A New Direction. And it used to be called the DART program, but I was a treatment assistant. And so when I was at Wayne Correctional, uh, I was kind of specializing in working with the guys that was coming from Polk Youth Center. And the guys that was coming from Polk Youth Center was off the damn chain. Like, listen, bro. And I was like, I was like big homie. You know, I was mm-hmm. like big bro. So I could kind of talk to them and reach them. Like, cause while they was in this uh program, this new direction program, it would not, I think it would not 30 days off their sentence for completing wow. it. And it talks about criminogenic behavior, you know, the behaviors and stinking thinking. It's not just the drug program, but it just talks about, you know, monitoring your your thoughts. We used to do thinking reports and stuff like that. But like, uh, and I can remember one one guy I was locked up with, shout out to my boy BG. He down there in Hickory, North Carolina. He boxing now. And shout out to my boy, my boy Blake. When I was in prison, I was like mentoring people then, bro. Like I had guys that I was rocking with that would like to fight. And one of them, bro, I kid you not, man. I was like, man, you fighting something. Why don't you box? You know, you da 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 da. I was like, when you get out, I better hear about you boxing, bro. Like real talk. Like that's how I used to talk to him, you know, because he, he used to get into fights about bull. Mm-hmm. I'd be damned if he ain't boxing for real now, bro. Like, right when I got out, he was hitting my... When I created a Facebook, he was sending me pictures. And remind me to show you some of his stuff uh, when this is over with. He was sending me pictures. Like, he's boxing for real, bro. In the like, gyms, so, yeah. Yeah, he's really boxing. Yeah. He's a professional boxer now. Wow. But the mentoring stuff started in there. But that came natural to you. It did. Why? I think it's because I had my dad in my life and I'm an only child. Because I, I, I always wanted to have a brother, you know, but I was an only child. And I always... You know, in cities, I would have friends. When I stayed in Hickory, the, my friends had big old families. And then when I was up here, you know, some of the people I rock with, they they had big families. But I really didn't have any siblings. So I've always yearned to have a, a brother. Mm-hmm. But then with me having my daddy in my life, I had some things that a lot of people that looked like me didn't have. And I, I can remember catching myself saying stuff to people that my dad would say to me. Like, even before I went to prison, bro, when I was in the streets, a lot of my friends, I was kind of like the big bro, you know. On the, they, in the streets. Yeah, even in the streets, mm-hmm. you know. I was doing a lot of wrong, but I was a good-hearted guy, you know what I'm saying, to be honest. And there's a lot of good-hearted people that are in the streets. Yeah. They just don't have another way out but um, or don't know of another way out or don't believe in the system. But I really believe I was able to make those connections with people, for one, because of my connection to God. Cause I was like, when I was in prison, I was doing a lot of praying cause I was hurting a lot. And it was a lot of times like, God just helped me get through this day. You know, I don't want to go back to the hole. I want to have peace. 
And, and, and I believe God just started to go ahead and use me because I, I can't just glorify in it like it was just me. But I really believe it was a lot that came from me having my dad in my life and that and, and just me being able to sharpen people uh, uh, organically. You know what I'm saying? It's through like pure natural connection. Mm -hmm. Facts. Right? Yeah. Peer support. Peer, su <laughs> peer support. Peer support in action. Yeah. Peer support in action, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about how your spirituality grew while you were in prison and like you were talking about praying every day and like what, how did it change? I'll say, man, just from like, before you went yeah, in. Just like it's a lot of people that go to church that ain't really that spiritual. Yeah. Well, that's, you know that's, what that's, what, I'll be honest with you, man. Yeah. Cause I, I don't identify with any yeah. religious organization myself. Um, yeah. and that, and it's probably like me being judgmental, but that's a, a big part of why. Mm -hmm. of why I can't yeah. commit to like going yeah. to church every Sunday. Yeah. And I heard I heard a, a a speaker at the convention say something that made a lot of sense, man. One of the things he said that made a lot of sense was he said, you know, the problem ain't religion. The problem is religious people. You know what I'm saying? It's not the religion, it's the people. And I and I believe what I learned when I was in prison was the difference between religion and spirituality. Mm -hmm. Because to be honest with you, while I was in prison, I was considering other other uh, uh, ways. You're investigating. Other. Yeah, I was investigating. Mm -hmm. I did for that. I was thinking about being a roster because I already had dreads. <laughs> you fit right <laughs> in. <laughs> and then they, they would know, welcome you. Yeah, and uh -huh. then I was, you know, I had some some of my friends, you know, from the east coast uh, of the state. You know, they was Muslim, mm -hmm. and we got along so good. So I was, you know, I was investigating some stuff, but like. Once I went to the hole, and when I was in that hole, I had snuck my radio in. I would listen to gospel music on Sundays and just be at peace, praying, reading the Bible, stuff like that. And it just kind of grew on me. And then recovery. It, I keep leaning back on 12-step recovery because it taught me how to put the principles into action, you know, and how to, to gauge it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it taught me how to really do an inventory, you know, of myself. An honest inventory. An honest. My man, a rigorous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, talking about that, those inventories, is that something that you, how often do you reinvestigate those? How often do you go back to them? Well, right now, I mean, I'm going back through now, you know, because after I buried my mama, I, it, I, something happened to me, man. You know, whenever, <laughs> whenever my mom passed away, bro, it was hard. That whole process, man. Like, I had to be strong, and I had to work, because the job I had was grant-funded, bro. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have benefits. I didn't have paid days off, so I was having to work, and then I was still squeezing my home group in when I could, because I was hurting, you know, and I was traveling, and I was, it, it was so hard, you know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, when all of that happened, I had to go back through them again because I, I can't say I was the kind of guy that was that go through all 12 and start over and go through them mm -hmm. like that. I was more so paying more attention to the, the spiritual principles and where I was struggling. Mm -hmm. But when you ask about the inventory, bro, as needed, PRN, PRN. Yeah. PRN. But now I am going back through the steps, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Because I had to. Yeah. You know, I really had to go back through them again just, you know, because I'm, you know, Lord willing, I, if I make it, to next Wednesday, I'll have 10 years. Oh, yeah. So it's that time. And that's why, hey, bae, hold me accountable. I'm trying to make that 1230 meeting my home group. Remember next, what I Yeah. Next that's Wednesday. the second time I said, yeah. I'm trying to make, well, I ain't going to sell I ain't going to have a big celebration this year. Yeah. But, uh, 10 I, years, brother? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go out to eat and I'm going to go speak to my homeboy. Got a program in Asheville called My Daddy Taught Me That. I've seen yeah. that on Facebook. Yeah. I need to get him down here on the radio show. Yeah. He's solid. That's another person who has been inspirational to me. 
I met him around the time when I had got out, and uh, he invited me to come talk to his guys. Dang, that's crazy we talking about that. What a coincidence. Because I was just now in the PVA Community Center today, and that was the first time that I had a, a speaking engagement since I, since I had been out. That, that was the first place that I went. Okay. But um, Keenan Lake is his name, and he's like, man, he has really lived a sacrificial life to give back to young men you know, um, in the community is crazy. And that was the first place that you went? That was the, that was the, one of the first, that was the first place that I spoke, yeah. uh, to a outside group outside of a outside, meeting outside of a, that was the first place that I had told my story outside of a meeting and he invited me and continued to invite me and I'm and me and him are good friends now. Yeah. But, um, when I think about, you know, some of the people that kind of invested in me, like, like mm -hmm. something as simple as him continuing to say, yeah, man, you're welcome to come anytime. That meant a lot to yeah. me. Because he's a highly respected person. And coming from where I come from, those weren't the kind of people that wanted me around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It feel good. You heard? <laughs> I was asking about the inventories because yeah. um, in the program that I've been associated with, Refuge Recovery, mm -hmm. um, they also have an inventory process. Okay. And what I found works for me is I re will revisit them mm -hmm. annually every january okay. first of the year mm -hmm. get back into it it's mm -hmm. like 75 questions and it is yeah. kind of formatted or based off of um a lot a 12-step model yeah i would say so i'm like half i just started like here we are what january 9th or 8th yeah. or something like that so yeah. i just started like a week ago you know yeah. i'm about halfway through it yeah um and like every year it's like new stuff new yeah. stuff it's like and I save, I, I do it all, I do it all on my computer and I have like all the files from the last four years. And I, I kind of like, yeah, it's a refuge recovery inventories yeah, or I'm inventory process. And, um, what I do is like, I keep the files separate and then I can kind of compare them to, I'll, I'll share them with my, share them with my, um, we don't have a sponsor. We have a mentor, mm -hmm. but I share them with my mentor and then I'll compare them to last year and then yeah. I'll like combine them together. So I have like each year's and then a running um, thing and to look yeah. at it as it grows and as it changes, but it and really you looks. You can at, look back. You can look back. Dang, that's yeah, that's what, deep. What it does is it um, it asks you questions about about how your behavior has created suffering in your life because it's kind of like a Buddhist model. So mm -hmm. it's all about like suffering or mm -hmm. um, discomfort. So it's like how did your behaviors create suffering in your life? Mm -hmm. But it's a thorough thorough inventory. Um, yeah. just how many, like, and you said it was how many questions? It's like 75 questions. There's first truth inventory and a second truth inventory. Yeah, I like um, that. But yeah. I might have to use that for some groups. Yeah, it would definitely be worth looking at. I use it in a lot of our refuge recovery groups. Like if we're just looking for a topic for a meeting, I'll just, yeah. throw, I'll just pop up one of the questions. I'll just throw a question out there, you know, just yeah. To, yeah. as a, uh, as a topic for the meeting for that night. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. I'll do that often. Um, <coughs> part of me guys, my, I'm battling, a little cough and cold for the last four or five days. I apologize for the it's noise. That tri it's that tricky weather. It is. You see, I'm in shorts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I told you, man, you're, you're definitely from North Carolina. <laughs> Mountain man, beard gang, hashtag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. They always talk about that colorly crud. You heard yeah. about that when you were out here? Well, you know, I didn't really get to hang out as much because yeah. I'd come down here. Now, I would hide out in the library and focus, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But, like, I didn't really hang out a lot down here. Good friend of mine, Mariah, she uh she went to Reynolds. She's a lot younger than me, but she worked at AB Tech for a little bit too, and mm -hmm. she transferred down here. And that was one of my friends. And then another uh, uh guy I knew that was going to uh, school down here. I'd see him sometimes, but I I'd come down here go to class. 
and, and maybe go to the library and grind, and I'm gone. Yeah, busy already. man. Yeah. Um, going into AB Tech right out of prison. Mm-hmm. What um, what was your field of study like? What, how did you decide where to start? Had you graduated high school, or did you get your? Yeah, yeah, I graduated high school. Uh, I dropped <laughs> out in the, I dropped down in the twelfth grade because I went mm-hmm. to AC Reynolds High School. I went to AC Reynolds Middle School. And I stayed at AC Reynolds until the 12th grade. And then I started getting out of hand. And my dad married this Nigerian lady. And then I, and that, all I can say is he married her. Me and her didn't get along. And, you know, and I, I had to go. And back then I had a resentment, you know what I'm saying, about that. But now I get it. You know, now that I'm a man of God and I'm married, I understand that, you know, his husband and wife. And, you know, that's what it is. And if, you know, and if I wasn't getting along with his wife, in which, you know, rightly so, I was tripping. You know, mm-hmm. I had to go, so I ended up moving back to Hickory, and I dropped out. I ended up dropping out, getting in the streets. And mm-hmm. my mom told me uh, in 2002, she told me, like, you know, you're not going to be standing in, standing in this house selling that shit. You know, you're going to either go to school or you're going to get a job. And uh, so I went back to school, and I graduated in 2003. But, um, you know, and we're going to AB Tech out of prison. I knew what I wanted to do because I had been a treatment assistant. And, you know, a lot of people in recovery want to be counselors and want to give back. And I believe everybody should have a chance at doing it. And and that's why I like the, uh, that's why I like the, thank you, baby. That's why I like the, the peer support specialist uh, thing so much because it gives people an opportunity to see what it's like. But um, it wasn't in existence like that back when I was, it wasn't, it, peer support wasn't like that when I first started school. Um, you were kind of doing it on your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I started started school going in the human services program, you know, because I couldn't do CSAC because I had them serious. Viol- I had a serious violent charge that makes you wait to be able to register with the board. So I still went through the motions with the human services and finished that degree. But it was very weird being in school. One of my moments that I always tell when I tell my story is like I remember I was in an abnormal psychology class. And they was talking about substance-induced psychosis. And uh, people was laughing whenever, was, you know, was in the book reading and when the teacher was talking about how people can get on certain substances and they see things that aren't really there. <laughs> and I can remember searching carpets, bro, for that piece that I thought I seen. Uh-huh. Or I can remember peeping out of windows. Like, I remember I used to pick, rest in peace to my boy, Yuhan, man. Back, I remember back in the day, you know, I was always the person that was tripping. I was always the one that did the hard drugs. My friends wasn't the ones. But I can remember peeping out of peephole. They're like, man, Pac, sit down, man. Stop doing that shit, man. Sit down. I'm like, nah, man. You don't see him? You don't see him? Look, look. You know, blowing everybody's high. Mm-hmm. But everybody in that class was laughing when I, when, when they was talking about substance-induced psychosis. But it wasn't funny to me. Yeah. Like, I was quiet. It was, it was scary. <laughs> yeah, because I remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm with I you, I remember man. what it was like. But, you know, and, and being it was cool. It was cool. I was proud to be in school, though. Was did you find it the transition like into the classroom challenging at all? Was there or did did you fit right in as a student? I fit right in because yeah. I was fresh. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was swagged out. I was. I mean, I at that I got clean at twenty four years old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so when I was when I was in school, I got out once I was twenty seven. When I got out of prison, so I wasn't too old, and I and I still had like before recovery made me grow. I was still kind of not a little boy, but I, I had grown a little bit. But I, I'd say I was I was 27, but I was more like I was 21, 22. And so being in that classroom with them, I fit right in. And at the community college, it ain't like the university. You have a lot of people that's in that age range. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, a lot of people that wanted to, you know, go to school and get a trade or whatever. So it wasn't too bad. I ask you that because um, I do a lot of work with the collegiate recovery programs mm -hmm. over here at SCC and at Western. And like a big part of like, I'm like kind of like a planner, forward thinker kind of person. So like a big part of like what I do as the um, student intern mm -hmm. and um, president of like the the club is like is like secession planning. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like, I do a lot of my work is done like out in the community yeah. trying to connect with those in recovery and get them back into school. Wow. Show, show oh, them that there's man. a way. And there's a yeah. lot of like fear and there's a lot of like resistance to... Yeah. taking those steps and there's a lot of excuses that's dope though you know bro. like oh my god that's dope <laughs> that's dope because who's going to be there like we started this collegiate recovery program a year ago mm -hmm. um so like when i graduate next year who's going to take my spot yeah who's going to do that work that i'm doing right is now all, so god is it all from the community college yeah and AB Tech, we like had talked with yeah. Cheryl Dean or something is that uh, her name you got a Sharon Kincaid Sharon Sharon we had talked with yeah. Sharon um, cause there, she was trying to do some stuff over there. Yeah, they try and see when I, and that's another thing. Like when I first started working at AB tech, like I was hired as an administrative assistant mm -hmm. and I was basically getting a break from working in the field. Cause I was working at the crisis unit, the detox. At ADAC? No, at Neil Dobbins. Neil Dobbins. So I was working at Neil Dobbins whenever Christ, when it first started to transition into more crisis than detox. Mm -hmm. Because back in 2011, I started working at Neil Dobbins. It didn't take me long to get a job. I had to persevere. So you, so you graduated and got a job right No, away. I got a job before I graduated, before. Okay. bro. Yeah, because uh -huh. I had the juice. And I was actually practicing the spiritual principles from recovery. Mm -hmm. And it shows. Like, when you're living the steps and the putting the principles into actions, people going to notice it. You feel me? So I ended up, this lady named Pam Coppage, big ups to Pam Coppage, um, she gave me a chance, and Keisha Wynn, they gave me a chance at Neil Dobbins, and I came and worked there, and I worked there for a while, but I had to take a break because it was difficult, you know, and I was burning out. So when I started working at AB Tech as an administrative assistant, you know, I, AB Tech didn't really know who I was in the community at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so around my desk, I kid you not, bro, I had like a little open area for my workspace. Man, it'll be full of people People from recovery, you know, people, black people that knew me from the from the streets or whatever that was in school, it was always full of people. So after they started seeing that, you know, they was kind of wanting to see if I could get involved in helping with that. Like it was a lady at UNC, I forget her name. She reached out and tried to see if I could help uh, connect UNCA's program with AB Tech. But at that time, you know, I was busy doing my job. And, you know, an administrative assistant is a very yeah. intense position. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that and mentoring, you know, uh, young black guys that was coming back to college. So I really, it was hard for me to commit. And I respect recovery that much that I wasn't going to half-ass do it. You know, I wasn't going to say, yeah, I can do it. And then... Not going to follow through. Yeah. And if it's any viewers on here, if you overcommitted, don't have to do anything that got to do with recovery because people's lives depend on it. You know what I'm saying? Don't overload your plate and think you're going to have to do something that got to do recovery. Because... You know, that it, that's that's life changing work. You know, it's not like advanced. It's not advanced manufacturing. <laughs> you know, we're talking about a person's life is in your hand. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the reason why I didn't say that I wanted to to be a part of it, because I wouldn't have been able to have do it. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you share that message with the newcomer or with that 
person who's interested in getting into school or doing some of the things that you're doing, how do you, how do you share that message of like commitment level to like stay focused and stay on the grind and continue yeah. to like, well, the thing is, bro, like, cause you got it, you yeah. got it. But it like in talking and knowing you very shortly, like yeah. it seems like it's a natural yeah. skill that you have. Well, like in the streets, we or in the prison, we call it G checking. Mm-hmm. You know, you when you G check somebody, you make sure that they know or that they are who they say they are, and you can tell by certain responses that they give. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I learned in the streets, and I still apply that to recovery. And that happens even today as I'm a career navigator with people. People think they gonna just come to me and get a job, but nah, bro, we gonna have a conversation about what your recovery looks like. You had a sponsor. What's your service commitment? You know, how many hours a week are you working? You know what I'm saying? And that'll determine how many hours I'll co-sign off of. Because I can't stop somebody from registering for 12 credit hours. But if we have a conversation and they have respect for my recovery and who I am, then they'll take heed to my suggestion. You know, honesty, and op- honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. With these, we are well on our way. One thing that will defeat us is the attitude of indifference towards those. Right. So if a person is actually operating within the principles of recovery and they hear me say, bro, based on what you're telling me, you do not need to be in 12 credit hours. That's how I talk to them, because I want to save your life and your financial aid, because if you think you're going to keep taking 12 credit hours and dropping classes and getting aid, no, no, no. They done changed that, bro, bro. You know, you drop a class if you want to, you're going to be paying out of pocket next semester. (laughs) So, and that's how I talk to them, you know, realistically speaking, from my my, uh, experience as a student, as well as my experience working at AB Tech, seeing people running out of the financial aid office crying because they don't get their financial aid. I want to save the person. So I I have that type of conversation. But I also want to know, like, you know, how strong is their recovery? Like, you got a sponsor, you know, how you, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But what if they're not? Then I won't co-sign it. Yeah. I tell her, bro, man, look, I'm telling you like this, you better make sure your recovery is strong enough because school will eat, eat you up. Mm-hmm. School and work will eat you. It'll take you out. I've seen it happen. You know, I don't got many people. Jo- Before I had this job as career navigator, bro, I was helping people get jobs. Like I, I've been in on work, your own, on my own, yeah. connecting with HRs and everything. I can't say all their names on this radio show, but I was connecting with HR departments when I was an administrative assistant and when I was a, a tech at Neil Dobbins Center. I was connecting with HRs in different places like that, helping people get jobs at that time. How did you build connections with these? businesses that are hiring people do you where you just community service communities i'll say community service church and just meeting people and speaking engagements youth events because i used to be a a christian hip-hop rapper and uh (laughs) i used to be i used to rap i can still rap by the way where's where's your youtube channel uh, i ain't ain't pushing it no i ain't pushing it i am on what's it called what is that other thing called that, that a lot of rappers use? Reverb Sound Nation. Cloud, a reverb? Reverb. Yeah, yeah, I got some stuff on Reverb Nation. That's actually some good tracks. But, <laughs> but like, I would meet people from speaking there, you know, and then I would meet people. Uh, one time I, uh, I spoke at a scholarship luncheon, and I made a lot of contacts there. Just really speaking engagements and word of mouth. And, and people ended up, you know, wanting to meet me, have, have conversations, and, and, I, and it started going from there. What is it? I mean, we're kind of like jumping f- forward a little bit, but what is what are those conversations like with a potential employer when you're straight wa- up? Yeah, when you're walking in there saying, "Hey, yeah, this is what I do." Yeah, right. Um, I'm a career navigator. Yeah, helping, um, helping those in recovery or reoffenders. Yeah, find a job. 
Well, whenever one thing, one thing I do, I pray a lot. First and foremost, I pray a lot, bro. I I, I pray like Dre Three Stats said. I pray so much I need knee pads. But one thing I will say. When I go and I meet with uh, an employer, somebody in HR, once they want to meet with me, that's that's a lot of that's a couple steps ahead of the game, even that they're willing to meet with me. Once I get in there with them, I need to know about their hiring policies, about what charges they can work with, and stuff like that. And then I just explain to them, you know, what type of support that we have in place for the people that we're referring. Cause see, cause you're not you're not just a referral agency. Yeah, no. These people that if I refer a person to a job, this person is either working with they they got a case manager. They might have if they had mental mental if they're working on mental wellness, they're working with an RHA or family prayers or wherever they're working at. They have support. You know what I'm saying? They're at Goodwill. They have a case manager. You know I'm I'm connected with them. Spark Foundation. You know people that go to Spark. They got groups. They got people with lived experience. Licensed clinicians. You know or or you know green opportunities. They're well equipped to serve the community because it's people who have walked the walk. You know, when I think about community action, life works like I can legit sit down with HR and I can educate them about resources. Mm-hmm. And that usually blows their mind. <laughs> that usually blows. And, and they usually buy in for the simple fact that they see, hey, this could work, you know, because a lot of former offenders. And then when I tell them I'm a former offender, that gets them, especially if I got my tattoos covered up and I just got on the button up. And then I tell them, like, I would have never guessed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, it's like. Former offenders work with out of the gift of desperation, and desperation is a gift. And I talk to them just like this, bro. I reach they hard. Like I remember when I first got in the field, people was trying to trying to critique me and tell me how to talk. And I was like, no, because people that rock with Change Agent Cooper are gonna rock with him based off of their heart condition. Yeah, it's not gonna be because I my my way with words. And it's, it's so easy to see through that bullshit too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The authenticity yeah, is yeah. just not there. And and that's why they gonna work with with the program that I have or the people that I'm rocking with. You know, it's based off of passion and knowing that these people need a chance and they working like they got a point to prove. And they do. And they do. And they usually do well. You know, I, I've had some people screw up, especially early in the game, early in the end. It, it, it gets me high. Like somebody I see somebody post a picture on Facebook and tag me and at work in their outfit or or they message and say, thank you. God bless you. Stuff like that, man. It, it shows me that, that, that God is using me, yeah. you know, for so long in my life. You know, I was I was I was I was evil. I was representing darkness. You know, it's times I look at myself in the mirror at four o'clock in the morning. And I ain't know what was next. I ain't know if I had a purpose. And now I got, you know, I have an opportunity to, to give back. You know what I'm saying? It gets me high. So when I first got this job, you get a job, you get a job, you get, I'm just throwing jobs out there. And I got burnt. One job, <laughs> one guy I had got a job, he crashed like instantly. And then my guy Brent Bailey, he's the sensei, him and Jonathan Knight. Jonathan's from Goodwill, Project Reentry. And Brent Bailey actually did my reentry class when I was in prison. Oh, okay. And now we're working together. But uh, Brent had to coach me. He was like, you know, Philip, man, you, you got to make sure you know the people first and da 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 So I had to learn since October 2017. I've learned a lot. To spend more time with them and really find out. Yeah. Ask them a lot of those questions that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Because at first I was trying to give everybody a job. You need a job. I bet you I can get you one, you know. <laughs> but no, that, I need to know you, that bro. That said job agent. Huh? <laughs> picture that. Picture um, that. <laughs> so let's just reset real quick. And who do you work for? What do you kind of do? Because we kind of like jumped ahead of okay. that. So like what who, what what organization do you work for? So I work for AB Tech Community College. Okay. And I've been working for AB Tech for four and a half years. Um, 
that's my full-time job and I'm a career navigator. And what I do, uh, it started out like on a case management piece, getting people in trainings, but it ended up being more of um, really uh, ex-offender advocate. You feel me? Change agent. Were you, you, know? were you, were there a lot of former offenders coming to AB Tech for schooling oh, and yes. trades and stuff like that? That's how it started. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's so crazy. Like, I wish I could do a full video on how it came apart, uh, about. You, like, it. Because so, you, like, basically created your own job. Is that what I'm hearing? I basically, facts. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what happened. Because you were an administrative assistant. I was an administrative there. assistant. And then I ended up putting in the notice because I was starting to burn out. And I'm the kind of guy I will burn out. I don't mind burning out. You know, and I said it in an article about me that they wrote up. Like, I don't mind burning out as long as people's lives are changing. You know, as long as my wife is happy, my child support is paid, my kids eating Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? And I got me a pair of J's, you heard? Mm -hmm. People's lives getting changed. Burn it down. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. And so uh, I put in a notice and I got and I started working for Asheville Recovery Center. And I was a tech. I was a case manager there. And I swear I was there like maybe a week. And then I got a call about another job that that, you know, was coming open that would be perfect for me. And I and that job didn't from, start from maybe. Yeah. And workforce development, but that job wasn't specific to it was specific to it was supposed to be specific to former offenders, but it wasn't necessarily career navigator. And so when I was in that job, I'm trying to help people get back in school. But the thing is, is these former offenders, they would go to school, but they need their bills paid. You yeah. feel me? They gotta pay, you know? And so what ended up happening is I I ended up this ended up coming about because I was able to demonstrate a need and the to, to the university, to I, the, or to, to the school. To yeah. the school. Uh -huh. I was able to demonstrate that need to them as well as the Mountain Area Workforce Development Board. You know, and my and my direct supervisor, Shelly White, she's a mastermind. Like, you can be talking and she'll be thinking, she'll draw something on the board and she'll put something together and say, this is what you need to do, you know. And that was basically how all of this came about to where we are now. And I want to speak on something that's in the works, but I have to I have to go in front of a very important committee tomorrow at 3 o'clock p.m. Woo! And if that happens, I need to come back on the show and tell all you about right, what that right. was. But that's going to be, that, that it's a big deal. Right. But it all started from, you know, administrative assistant that was the only black male in the building. So all black people gravitate towards what, you know, to me, because it's like, hey, bro, hey, can you help me out in the lab? Man, I'm having problems with this computer. And you know me, change agent. Yeah. Hell yeah, here I come. <laughs> you know. And, and, Good thing I took those IT classes. Yep, facts. <laughs> and then, you know, seeing people in the community, like like my bro Adrian, I'll say, you know, my boy Adrian Crawford, he works at um he works at the Kyle Ann Burrow Child Crisis Center. Um, I was on intensive probation at this time. And he was talking about going back to school. He wanted to go back to school. I was basically working for AB Tech before they was paying me. I helped many of people apply for AB Tech and do their FAFSA before I worked for the school. And now Adrian's a he's a damn tech supervisor. Wow. You know, he's killing, you know what I'm saying? Like, and and so that part of the mentorship within the college came natural. I just happened to be an administrative assistant that you couldn't keep in a box. It just couldn't happen. Yeah. And so I left and I went to Asheville Recovery Center and 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 I still I'm still there. I still contract for groups. Shout out to Asheville Recovery Center, ARC. And uh, ne and next step recovery too. Susan Stater, you need to have her on here if you can. Or Terry, I can't wait. I got I got so many people you could have. Sounds on. like it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but like next step invested in me too. You feel me? Like she, I was a case manager there, and um, and then I I still do groups there. 
But like Susan always invested in me and gave me opportunities, man, to where I, my resume is beautiful now. Like yeah. I have a beautiful resume. Just now. grinding, bro. Grinding. Yeah. Yo. So um how does the how does what is the process, right? When somebody reaches out to you through AB Tech mm-hmm. looking for some career navigation, what do you do? I just got a message since I've been on here, to be honest with you. I got one look. I ain't lying. I can show you a message right now. You see what time mm-hmm. it's like? 748. So the thing is, it's time to sit down. And right now, with me being in the position I'm in now, creating a program. Now I'm creating a program that's, that has, and I have a demonstrated need, but now this program, this this baby of mine, this Frankenstein, whoo, Jesus. Yeah. But it's in, the, it's in the works. But uh, now, I wouldn't want to have step with them. I respect this person that messaged me just now. I respect her enough to not half step because I know she ain't going to just reach out to me with somebody that ain't that ain't about nothing. So, you know, what I'll do is I'll reach out to Goodwill. I'll reach out to Jonathan and them and I'll say, hey, I got somebody that just got out and I need y'all to meet with them. And so they'll meet with them. Project Reentry will meet with them, right? And then they have some people in the career center. My homegirl, Rayana. What's up, Rayana? She works in the career center. Her dad used to be my sponsor. But anyway, he wouldn't mind me saying that because he's like a he's like a, a recovery champion. But uh, so they'll go there. They'll get a resume. I'll see what their goals are. I'll ask them what jobs they had when they was in prison, right? And see what they're working with. And they'll get placed somewhere. And um, and we'll have an expectation to hear from them on a weekly or biweekly basis, you know. And we'll hope for the best. But the employer where he goes to will know that he's working with us. And the employer will know if he gets out of hand, we need you to reach out to us first. Do not give up on him. Reach out to us so that we can coach him. So if there's any issues that arise, the employer contacts you guys. Exactly. To I, you guys kind of address it. Yeah. Whether it's like attendance or yeah. whatever. It better not yeah. be attendance. I cuss them out. <laughs> you got to remember, I ain't no clinician. I cuss yeah. their ass out. Now, just <laughs> well, I think that's like you hit on that a couple times tonight. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's like a big part. And like uh, we we're talking before the podcast. And that's a big part of like why. I want to, why I do this mm-hmm. and why I didn't want to work in the field, even though I'm pursuing a CSAC and mm-hmm. then, you know, through the human services program, SEC is yeah. that because like you can talk to people mm-hmm. the way that I feel best yeah. and I don't have to like dance around and with use them ethics. Yeah. With the, yeah. Ethics, of, yeah. Oh God. Codes of ethics. Yeah. Them absolutely. Of ethics. Um, but you can actually have those real conversations. Yeah. Right. And that you have so many limitations and so many things like holding you back and preventing you from mm-hmm. like doing pure, authentic work mm-hmm. and like really getting somewhere and calling someone out on their bullshit yeah. and like seeing through it. You and get like, it. yeah. And so, like, <laughs> you get it. but I can right here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, we can, we, we don't have to, we don't answer to anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we don't have, um, somebody telling us what we can or can't say. We right. don't have to sell anything. We don't have to, mm-hmm. like, we can just, have those and it's real, attractive it's attractive and for people and that's what i noticed man like like i heard a speaker say something about how how people can be abrasive or something like that or like people that's too assertive or something like that i had a speaker say something and, and that was one thing i did disagree with because you know these principles are just as valid today as they was when the traditions was formulated bro and the way i feel like some people don't i, I mean the people when a person has hit rock bottom their feelings is the last thing they worried about. You know what I'm saying? They like, help me. If you got to cuss me out to get my attention, so be it. Because that's what happened to me. You know, and that's what worked for many people I know. You know, and so people need that that rigorous, 
you know, rigorous honesty, you know, mm. but they need love too. Now it's a difference between just being mean to somebody all the time without loving them. But it's, but, but there's also a time and I've done this in many of many of meetings to where I'll, I'll call a person on their BS and I'll find them immediately you after meeting. Up. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm following after the meeting, I'm running up on you like, what's up, bro? Just checking in with you. I know, I, I know you heard what I said, but I want you to know this is my number. Like if you, if you want to understand why I said what I said further, then hit me up. You know, and I think it's about how you deliver the message. Yeah, like you can be upfront, you mm-hmm. can be direct, yeah, but still be kind, yeah, right, and still yeah. be loving, and it come from a place, yeah, in your heart that is pure. Yeah, and that's a skill, and mm-hmm. that comes, and that comes with being around for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like it comes from from practice, trial and error. Because mm-hmm. you know, I know I've I know I've probably carried the message in a harsh way before. You know, because I ain't perfect. You feel me? I, I ain't perfect. My grand sponsor done cussed me out and hurt my feelings before, but he has saved my life. Yeah, but matter, And that's how you continue yeah, to grow, facts, by recognizing yeah, that. Facts. Right? Matter of fact, I remember one time I was on the phone with him uh, back in the, ah, it's crazy. Look at God. So one time I was on the phone with him when I was on, the, when I was on my way to class down here, and my mom had got back with, uh, I guess, technically my stepdad, because they had been together so long. But they had got back together, and I was so mad at him. Like, I wanted to beat him up. And I'm on the phone with my grand sponsor, and he cussed me out like, what do you think that's going to prove? You soft as hell. You're going to beat the old man up. Like, that's how he responded to me, bro, when I was my maddest. You know what I'm saying? You think that's what I wanted to hear? Was that nice? But that's the way he – that's what I needed. You know what I'm saying? I love it, man. I love it. Um, Gosh, you're cracking me up, dude. You are. (laughs) How do you – how do you, how, I want to get into like the church a little bit because mm-hmm. you're very, you're so active in the church, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's like, so, um, your service work there yeah. is like a huge, plays a huge role in your yeah. overall wellness and your mm-hmm. recovery, but mm-hmm. your wellness and your lifestyle, I guess yeah. you could say. Mm-hmm. How did that, how did you come to learn that? How did, how did you come to learn that you needed that aspect in your life? And then how do you consistently like, apply it how do you consistently show up every sunday morning whether it's pouring down rain or a foot mm-hmm. of snow or whatever's going on i'll say i'll say this i finally figured like I, and i'm gonna go back i'm gonna reiterate you know i said that there's a difference between religion and spirituality mm-hmm. so recovery taught me to apply spiritual principles and in the 12th step you know the primary spiritual principle of the 12th step is service after having had a spiritual awakening you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and um and so when I go to church, a lot of times, a lot of times I go to give back, specifically where I'm at now, you know, because there's a lot of volunteering, you know, the way that things operate. It's like a it's a, a um, we're not consumers, we're contributors. That's the way it is within that system. So a lot of times I go in ninth step mode. You know what I'm saying? I'm going like I'm this is my ninth step. You heard this is my 12th step, you know. And so um, I show up on that part of it. As well as, you know, this style that I have is, um, it's kind of like, it, it can't have a definition. Because, you know, I love Jesus. I cuss sometimes. I listen to Meek Mill. I listen to Casting Crowns. I listen to Cardi. I had Cardi. I, I probably made a spiritual Cardi B post this morning. I saw you. You know, <laughs> you know but I, I believe that God is using me to be the bridge. You know what I'm saying? Because some people are building bridges, but some people are actually the bridge. Yeah. And 
because of that, I'm going to just allow God to use me, you know, because like when I think of church, I go to church for a reason. You know, I pay my tithes and I and I and I and I contribute to, you know, with my with my service because I that's that's but that comes from my relationship with the God and my understanding. It ain't to please nobody. It ain't because I want people to like me or none of that. You know, because you'll notice, like, it ain't even many black people that go to my church. So a lot of times I be feeling out of place, to be honest. But I continue to 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 go and, and do service work because I know that I'm making God smile. You know what I'm saying? But it is a it is a unique part in recovery to be able to to have that balance. You know what I'm saying? Because some people they get in the church and then they and they don't they don't work steps. They just go to church. But church is more than just a Sunday event. Like I am the church. You know, I'm the only Bible that some people will get close to, you know, and, and being consistent over a period of time. You know, I've been able to in, have people come with me to church that didn't even used to like church yeah. because over time they see it working and they see me being Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They ain't used to seeing people actually be Jesus. They used to people just judging them. You know, I'll tell them the truth, but I'm also going to love the hell out of them. Literally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you're you're literally doing on doing there at Elevation what you're doing at AB Tech. And like yeah. when you show up on Sundays, you're bringing yeah. folks with you, <laughs> yeah. right? You're bringing a crew with you yeah. every yeah. Sunday, I, I inviting new people in and yeah. all kinds of things, right? Yeah. And I, and I, and I like that. Cause in the thing, I, another thing I really like about my, about my church though, to be honest, is that, you know, it's, it's not traditional. It's not the way you don't have, we don't have a dress code. You know, and no shade to churches that have dress codes and stuff like that, but it's just easier for a younger person to come there and not feel judged and have to worry about like I came like I had my homeboy, one of my homeboys that I'm gonna invite. He he messaged me, uh, my boy Jay. He had messaged me about about coming, uh, and definitely need to have him on here. But he um <laughs> he he came to church one time and he was like, I ain't got nothing to wear. I was like, I tell you what, tomorrow I'm gonna wear a sweatsuit. Just since you come in tomorrow, I'm wearing a sweatsuit. And he and came, did. and we was both in our sweats. Yeah. <laughs> and it was others in sweats, too, yeah, but yeah. it's just like that, you know? It's It kind of, like, helps that, like, sense of community and fitting mm -hmm. in and all that stuff. What I like about you, man, what I love about you is that you are um, authentic and true to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And even though you've changed your lifestyle and you changed the way you live mm -hmm. and you're a man of God, mm -hmm. you're a man of recovery... And you're a leader in this community. Mm -hmm. um, you're still Philip Cooper, right? Facts. And you're still listening to Meek Mill, and you're still listening oh, to Cardi yeah. B at the gym. Man, and that you're new still... Meek Mill is the best album it is. that has been yeah. out. And that's wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on that. I was gonna no. <laughs> I when I was driving over here because I gotta tell you is that um, a lot of times when over the last couple years, man, since I like had you on my social media, yeah. is like if I'm looking for new music, I'll just go to his Snapchat story, <laughs> right? I'm like, what, what, what is hot that I need to listen to today? So one of the questions that I was going to ask you was, what's the, what was the best album of 2018? Uh, Meek Mill. That one? It just came out right at the end, right? Right at the end, man. Right at the end oh of the year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then Kodak Black, that's, that song, Testimony, yeah. uh, that's my theme song right now. He said, I'm God sent. He used, he, he, like he used me as a vessel, like he used me as an instrument. You know, just that first, that first uh, uh, verse, man. Like, I play it all the time, but... You had said something about authenticity, right? Like, so so many people in early recovery, they're like afraid of like that full, like they think that if I'm gonna mm -hmm. change my lifestyle, then I have to like 
change who I am. Yeah. And I have to be like somebody that I'm not. not. Right. Yeah. By going to church on Sundays and by committing myself to God mm-hmm. and by going to 12 step meetings, I have yeah. to like yeah. be who I'm not. And that's not the case. It's not. You're living proof of that. Yeah. Right. And I'm telling you, man, like I tell people to this day, like I, ain't, I don't have a master's degree, bro. I'm about to finish up my bachelor's, Lord willing, at Lenore Ryan. Shout out to Lenore Ryan for the acceptance, you know. But like my biggest asset is my authenticity because people who deal with me deal with me because I'm real. They don't deal with me because of nothing I have. They deal with me because they know what they going to get. You know, I don't like uh, uh like I had conversations with people about code switching. You know, I'm the kind of guy like I know how to sound more professional at times. But when I get fired up, bro, ain't code switch what code? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it, And I don't know how to tone that down. But I have genuine friendships with people because they know the real me as soon as possible. And, and I feel like I have to continue to do that because I don't have time for fakers. Like, I need you to either love me to death or hate me. I need to. And, I, and I'll find out because I can I can judge you by your actions. But I, and I like it that way because in my life for a long time, you know, there were times when I was growing up, man. You know, I'd be around some people that 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 didn't really like me too much. I didn't really like them, but we still hung around each other and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And I don't never want to have to live like that again, man. I want solid, genuine relationships with people. And that's what recovery has taught me. And there's a um, there's something from a book in recovery. It says, you know, relationships can be a terribly painful area in our lives, especially when placing unrealistic expectations on ourselves and others. Now, an unrealistic expectation of me is to feel like I'm going to hang with somebody who ain't real and me not have an issue with it. Cause the fakeness is gonna bother me. I'm gonna. I, it's my obligation to hold people accountable and hold people and and, and 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 hold. It's my obligation to hold people accountable. You know, in the proverbs, it talks about uh, um, the lips will pervert will will preserve wisdom. Our lips will preserve knowledge. Preserve means keep alive. That means if our lips are gonna keep it alive, that means we need to be talking about it. And who are we gonna talk about it with? Our friends. Mm-hmm. And if I can't hold you accountable, what you think? I'm getting ready to get dull because of you? Boy, bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Man, I'm choking, man. Um, 2018, perseverance versus everything. Everything. Huh? Where, everything. Did, where did that come from? Man, I'm going to tell you. Like, How did you live it? Yeah. I seen a t-shirt. This was back. I don't I think it was like a t-shirt that said Detroit versus everybody. Yeah, yeah, I seen it, and then I seen a T-shirt one time that said "Gratitude versus Everything." You know what I'm saying? It was a company called Grateful Apparel. Shout out to Grateful Apparel, and uh, and they had a hat that said "Grateful," and they had a T-shirt that said "Gratitude versus Everything." And when I seen that, and uh, after going through my ten step, because my grandpa like. The, the recovery family I come from, we are about the principles. Like, we don't talk about steps without talking about the principles. Mm-hmm. And I can remember talking about perseverance and really understanding what perseverance means. You know, that steadfastness in the in the face of adversity. And I was thinking about school and driving, that drive <laughs> and, and, and the job starting to get on my nerves. But I had to persevere because I couldn't quit. I got kids. You know, that's the thing. Like, I, I knew at this moment I had the person. I didn't have no other option. And I remember getting them shirts made, and it blew up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and and it, and it got put to the test. You know, when my mom got that prognosis, it was like my, my T-shirts got put to the test, you know, because I had to really see what I was made of, bro, you know, when I was dealing with mom. I remember one time, 
you know, I had <clears throat> I was headed down there because my aunt and them had came. And shout out to my aunt Betty Jean and my cousin Totter and my uh, cousin Ganita Nunu, you know, and my wife, of course, she had my back. But I, sp I speak on my family because we was all like pitching in and watching mom when she left from, from the facility, we was working shifts. And I can remember one time they called me, it was like, you need to get down here. And I was like, I'll come, you gotta wait till I get off work tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And then my mama called, she said, get down here now. <laughs> so I hit the highway, zoom down, there. I get down, there. I go to get some gas from Marion. I'm in Marion, bro, no. Yeah, I was in Marion or Morganton. I had my wife's keys. <laughs> oh, no. I had to turn around. <laughs> And come mm -hmm. all the way back to Asheville, bring the keys, and then go, and go all back. the way back to Hickory. Perseverance. Yeah. You know, that was just an opportunity for me to have another prayer with God coming down that mountain. Even coming more down time. that mountain. Yeah. yeah. One more time, come down the mountain and pray it up one more time. You know what I'm saying? But perseverance has its place. And, you know, I believe that in my life, I've, I, I I had to go through those things because it's going to be some people that come after me. Like a good friend of mine just lost his mom. You know, another friend of mine lost his dad. Like it's in June, he lost his mom in June. And and a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, a guy, a guy I used to sponsor, he lost his dad. So I was able to make it through this so that I can empathize and I can provide peer support. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's hard to support somebody that lost a family if you don't like, because it's, it's a feeling, it hurts. It still hits me at times. Like I could be in my car sometimes, and I just go to cry. Like I was at the convention speaker Sunday, you know. Uh, you were speaking. No, uh, the main speaker mm -hmm. was. I usually cry when I talk about my mom. To be honest, I'm getting better because I speak a lot. But um, I was at the convention Sunday, and the speaker was talking about how when his mom was on her on her deathbed, how she told him that you know that she wasn't worried about him. She knew he was gonna be just fine. And I can remember. <laughs> I can remember one time I was in my uh I was in my aunt's driveway. I was in my aunt's driveway and my mom was in the in the Jeep with me. And you know, we was trying to figure out we was trying to figure out like if she who she was gonna stay with, right? And I had got upset because my mom didn't want to be in this facility, but I, I just wanted her to be taken care of while, while I was working because I was real overprotective. And I can remember, you know, I was upset because she made a decision without me to go stay somewhere. And, you know, everybody loved my mama. And, and I remember I was mad. And I, was, I was going back and forth with my aunt. And she was like... <laughs> She was like, don't worry, I know you're going to take good care of me. You do what you got to do. She said, get off that phone and do what you got to do. And it was, you know, she trusted me with her life, bro. And you did it, though. Yeah. Until then. Yeah, man. But... You know, when when Ron, oh, damn, I broke his head. The guy that was speaking was talking about how his mom told him that he knew he was going to be okay. She knew she knew that he would be okay. And that's the way my mom was talking to me in the end. You know, she would be bragging on me, the nurses. Like, she was so proud, man. But, uh. In another big moment in my life, like my family don't know it, but like we was having a, 
Thanksgiving dinner, right? And usually, like, one of the more respectable, one of the more respectable family members would be, would be the one that, that, that prays for the food. And, and we was there. And my Aunt Ann was like, come on in here, Philip, and pray for the food. And it, and it, and it hit me. <laughs> so I know God is real. You know, I, I don't push, um, <clears throat> I don't push religion on nobody. But I'm living proof, bro. Yeah, you are. They asked me to come in there and pray for the food. They don't know it. Like, I remember praying, and I hurried up and went outside to vape because I just wanted to have a moment to myself. But when she invited me to pray for the food, and, and then they did it again. Down at the, uh, we had this little Christmas thing. I said, get on in here, Philip, so you can pray for the food. And that means a lot, man. And I know my mama happy. And, uh, and I know everything I went, that, and that perseverance thing, bro. Like, even with this job I got now, man, I done had some hard times with this job, bro. Like, because I experienced the struggles that, the struggles that my clients experience, like I feel it with them. When they get told no, I feel it with them. I had a client one time, bro, and she's solid. And I tell her to this day, and, and I tell her to this day, I tell her, I will feel like I'm good at my job once I place you somewhere. That's when I'm going to feel like I can do it because she got some serious charges. And she got, to, she got hired on somewhere, and then they rescinded the offer, bro. Mm. After she had put her notice in, bro. At the old job. And I felt that. When that happened to her, I felt that. You feel me? But this perseverance thing, like, it didn't stop me from pushing. It didn't stop her from pushing. She's still pushing in. And, uh, and Vince, she's going to be my next. I'm claiming that, man. This year, she's going to be my biggest success story. She's going to be my biggest success story. And that's when I'm going to feel like I'm I'm a beast in this. Like, some people say, Philip, you're good. at you know, like, You're killing it. But when I place her. That's what I'm going to really feel like, yeah, I got the juice, you know. I don't know why I went off on that. Can we start talking got, about perseverance? You well, got tears and all yeah. kinds of shit. You got the juice, bro. And, well, you just you just described exact something that you yeah. hit on at the very beginning of this podcast. Yeah. And that the majority of your growth in life came from overcoming challenges and overcoming these obstacles facing these obstacles yeah. getting through them yeah growing from it learning from it and then giving it away facts giving that to somebody else yeah and that's exactly what you just described mm -hmm. um and that's something that many many folks struggle with is yeah. is when these air quotes little crisis come up pop up yeah. how do you overcome them who do you turn to mm -hmm. what 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 can i learn from this yeah experience how can this experience allow me to to continue to flourish and to continue mm -hmm. to grow and to continue to be a better person because yeah. um, i agree with you like, like in all of my significant growth came from these challenges in recovery mm -hmm. not before recovery yeah. things like you just <laughs> described in recovery where yeah. i'm like how the fuck am i going to get through this shit yeah. like i don't i don't know <laughs> i'll tell you bro like uh, I went through a it was I went through an unhealthy, t difficult breakup back in 2017, mm -hmm. bro. And I'm telling you, man, being able to survive a breakup with no mind or mood altering substances—that's when you know your recovery is at. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and even with have you know some of the difficulties I faced since I've been in this role, bro, because this role that I that I'm in now has grown. Like it did not start as a career navigator. Like I've legit went in rooms and had to be that the and had to be the voice of the people. And it's hard, but I'm not gonna stop. Yeah. But you say, how do you deal with it? That's why it's so important to have that that network, that them them bros that hold you accountable, them people you can call on and get a and get a prayer. It's why it's important for you to have a woman who is on the same page as you. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times guys get it twisted. They 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 they're chasing that tail and they're they're not looking for real relationships or or they don't have solid guys in their circle because can't nobody hold them accountable because they on that only God can judge me BS. But many folks don't want to be held accountable. And a little, they don't. You know what I'm saying? And and I, and those are the kind of people that you won't catch in my circle. You know because and it works both ways. Like people call me out all the time, and it, and it ain't always comfortable. One of my homeboys, Dre. You know what I'm saying? Every time we get every time we get around each other, we looking for something to call each other out on. <laughs> Fishing, baby. But we love each other to death. You know what I'm saying? And then I got bros like I had my bro Michael Hall hit me this morning, bro. You know, he hit me this morning. I'm I'm getting ready, getting ready for work. And he texts me. He say, hey, bro, call me as soon as possible. So I call him. He said, the Lord told me to call you so we can pray. You know what I'm saying? These are the kind of people I, I have to have in my circle, man. Yeah. When I was in the streets, the people that I rode with were people that was about the same cause as me. You know what I'm saying? I learned some things when I was all active in the game. You know, I learned some things. It was transferable skills. You know what I'm saying? So I know how to operate within a unit of men who want to be in recovery, who want to flourish, who want to be fathers, who want to be good workers, who want to be role models, who want to be peer supports, who want to be role models, who want to be mentors. We got the same goals. So we can call each other out like, bro, this ain't lining up with what your purpose is. And, and when somebody says something like that to you and you want to be spiritual, you're going to feel it. Yeah. And if you fight it, you're going to walk away and feel it. <laughs> There's no getting around it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to yeah. feel it. But that's what happens from being spiritual over a certain period of time. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm perfect because I am a sinful man. You know, I, I have my defects in character. I'm not, I have not arrived. It's a process, not an event. You know, but like you said earlier, man, you know, I've grown from all the things I went through since I've been yeah. clean. Yeah. Since I had to figure out how am I going to get through this? Through feeling it, kind of leaning yeah. into the experience and yeah. like taking that, I don't know, learning to like tolerate mm -hmm. the discomfort. Yeah. And that like we have, we grow up with these minds that think that our life will be lived or created on our terms mm -hmm. and things aren't going to go the way that we want them to. Uh -uh. And if I, th if I lose my shit, because I don't get my way, yeah. That ain't uh -uh. that ain't living. Nah, right? it ain't, that ain't recovery. That ain't recovery. That ain't living. That ain't spirituality. Uh -uh. That that ain't yeah. uh, be, being a Christian. That ain't anything. Yeah, and see, and it's some principles that's just straight universal. That's why I like peer support so much. I wish I could be like, I wish I could start some type of regulatory organization over peer supports. You know what I'm saying? Because like I like. When you in a peer support role, you are a role model, period. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not up to you if you're going to be a role model or not. If you are working as a peer support, then you are in a position to, to you are mandated to be a positive, effective role model. You're going to have your defects that you have to deal with, yes. But that don't show when you're on the clock. 
that mm-hmm. shows whenever you go and share with your network. That's why they ask if you got a year clean because they have you been in recovery. Who can attest to your recovery? Because they want to make sure that you know how to handle your shit. You know what I'm saying? Because when you're in this field, period, I mean, when I think of licensed clinicians, half of them about crazy as hell, (laughs) (laughs) whether they in recovery or not. You know what I'm saying? So when you appear support, you're going to have to deal with the same stuff they dealing with. (laughs) You just didn't go to school all that time and might not get paid all the same money. You don't have all the letters behind your name. You're basically doing the same exact thing. They're probably more powerful in in some places. Facts. Mm -hmm. Facts. Facts, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's why it's so important. Like you, And I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, if I'm, if I'm living a spiritual life, I'm not, that's not my response. It might hurt. I might be kind of like that at times, but it's, it's not going to be a harsh, prideful, no. Or that means I'm operating in, in my defects. And if I, if I comfortably operate in my defects, that means I'm complacent. And, and, and they say for an addict with a substantial amount of clean time, complacency is what a kick his ass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't be confident in going against spirit. One thing that would defeat us is the attitude of indifference or intolerance towards spiritual principles. You can't be comfortable with being intolerant and, and, and indifferent towards that for a period of time. That's complacency. Risky business right there. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, walking on, walking on, daggone, uh, uh, what is it called? Sinking sand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so perseverance was the word of 2018. What's, tw- what's 2019? Praise. 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 Come on, give it to me. Yeah, the, so the word is praise. And, uh, and there was a, my, this is a collaboration, right? Yeah, it's a collaboration. Because, see, at my church, at Elevation Church, where, where I attend, uh, you know, we we do a word. There's a, what what's your word for the year for uh, your family or for you? And um, we are we we praise. You know what I'm saying? And like each morning, I'm pretty sure my neighbors upstairs. I got this little um, audio little circle uh, UB roll thing, and it's a. Um, it's a, a, a wireless Bluetooth speaker. We just take like four or five pictures for and turn it sideways too. Oh, yeah. to, just like in action as we're talking yeah. to. Yeah. Like both. Yeah, make sure you can see that change in your favorite <laughs> baby. But uh but so, you know, we wake up in the morning and I have a playlist. It's on fleek. I'm talking about now I gangster rap has its purpose, but now, you know, I, I listen to my gangster rap, especially when I'm in the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, um and sometimes when I'm on the way to work, I, I still got my Tasha Cobbs, but I still might slide over to some TI motivation. Uh-huh. Better get on uh-huh. your job. <laughs> but uh but like praise is our word of the year because man, last year, and I ain't get to talk much about this so much has happened. In 2018, man, we went through this process with trying to get a trying to get a um Thank a you. house. And we we got the land home package, but like through it all, we had these issues with the water department, issues with the sellers, issues with neighbors that wouldn't let us get an easement. You know what I'm saying? Issues with uh you know, and then of course the stuff with my mama. But through all of that, we were still praising. <coughs> we were still praising the Lord. We were still believing God for a breakthrough. We still were saying, you know, whatever is going on is meant to bring us closer to the God of our understanding. You know, uh, nothing can break us. We're hard, we're, we're hard pressed, but not crushed. You know what I'm saying? All of these things. And you know, in the Good Word, it says perseverance produces character. Character, hope, and hope never fails us. You know what I'm saying? So I believe there's a place for all the pain. But this year we praising. And big things are happening. It's crazy now. Viewers, y'all see today is January 7th. 
This is the beginning of the year. I have a very important meeting tomorrow that I never would imagine doing. This meeting wow. tomorrow is like huge, bro. Like me, you Phil know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we closed on our house. It's a done deal. Big thing, yes. And we we getting ready to. We should be in there March or April, hopefully, if it don't keep raining crazily. But big things are happening. God is sh He's showing. So we're praying. I mean, we're not just praising Him for. We're not just praising God for what He's doing for us. Because, like I said, we was praising. I was praising. I was praising God when when Mamas was in hospice. I was going to Elevation Hickory. Shout out to my boy Timothy H. I seen him at the at the convention killing the game. Me and him was going to Elevation Hickory, going down there. Shout out to my boy Joey Lankford, real friends, authentic friends. You know what I'm saying? People was checking on me. I was praising God when mama was about to check out, you know, because I was praising him because I knew that it was a purpose. You know what I'm saying? I knew that I had the opportunity to be at my mom's bedside reading her favorite scripture to her, playing music on this same MacBook right here. You know what I'm saying? Playing music for her, you know. So I'm going to praise him now. Now that he start blessing me, and I'm going to keep praising him. I'm going to praise him for the breakthrough for that client I mentioned. And she know who I'm talking about. You know, I have experienced her struggle since she been out, bro. I have walked it with her. You know, I um I met a lot of good people when I was working at the uh, Bailey building. Uh, they had this program called Vera Pathways. So people would get out of prison and they would come to school, and they had all of these resources. It was awesome. I wish we could get that, but, you know, it took money to run mm -hmm. that because they tackled housing as long as they was in school full-time. But, man, I met All the important issues. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so, you know what I'm saying, all the people that came through that program are still doing good, and even the ones I'm fighting to get, fighting for to get another job. They're holding down the jobs that they're at. That speaks volumes. Yeah. That shows perseverance. But, like, bro, telling you, it's, it's, it's a lot of praising, and I'm praising God prior to it. And I heard Pastor Joseph Hackett, uh, he's a major change agent in the Asheville area. He's the, I don't know his exact title, but he like runs Green Opportunities. He's the man with the plan, to be honest. But I heard him on a radio show and he said, he said that the people who have a vision, they see it before they see it. Mm -hmm. The people of God, they see it before they see it. And so I feel like it's very important for me where I'm at right now to see it, to to know it's gonna happen yeah. prior to it happening, like a vision board. Yep, I love it, man. Um, so what's a uh, talk about the relationship, the wedding, and all that stuff, man? Oh man, that was crazy, man. So, like I said, Mama got that prognosis. When she got that prognosis, man, it was like it was it was it was crazy for us all because my, my Renee has always. She has always been like the kind of person that wants to know what's wrong and how she can help. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But you, but she's not going to leave you alone until she knows what is wrong because she has really got her mind set on trying to help you, you know? And so she experienced that with me when mom got that prognosis. And her mom, my mother-in-law, uh, Mama D, suggested that we do a wedding beforehand you know we had it scheduled for may the 19th but we ended up getting married march the 10th mm -hmm. and you know i can remember this guy named vince vince man shout out to vince and dana man god shout out to vince and dana um wow they they counseled us um they meet us at starbucks we'd be there for an hour or two or three <laughs> 
But we ended up getting married in my mom's room in the hospice house, man. Vince and Dana, they uh, yeah, I'm blessed, man. You are, bro. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm blessed. They 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 drove all the way down there, man. We got married. And my mama, she was having like I was holding her hand when I said I do. You know. Yep. I was holding her hand, bro. Like we can we can pull the pictures, and you can see it. But uh. It was amazing, man, and my and she was so proud, and um, and Renee was so. I mean, we 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 knew what time it was. It didn't take us long, mm -hmm. you know. We was together. Our, our, I want to say we was together six or seven months before we got married, and um, you know, we 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 knew what it was, man, because we had our biggest commitment was to God, and one thing that uh that Vince and Dana Vince and Dana taught us was that it's the three chord rope, and when God is interwoven. It's a rope, and a three-chord rope is not easily broken. Mm -hmm. And that's how we still operate. You know, sometimes... You two and God. Mm -hmm. Three-stranded. Three-stranded. Yep. That makes sense, man. I never heard that analogy before, but that mm -hmm. makes sense. He sent me. Yeah. He sent me here to say that. That might be why he sent me to Colorway was to say that. Yep. What's your goals for 2019, man? What's next without... Besides tomorrow's big meeting, sure. what you got on the radar? Yeah, 2019, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm getting ready to load your show up with some with some booming change agents. <laughs> I'm going to load you up, bro. I'm going to load you up with some booming change agents, bro. And, uh, and that's one thing I'm looking forward to doing. Also, I'm looking forward to this collab, this collaboration that we have going with uh, Community Action, LifeWorks. Like it's this lady named Kate Singogo, and we we on the same page. And like I'm looking to see what God is gonna do. Not not that it's a it's not a religion. It's not a religious organization. I I just say God when I when I'm talking about what I'm doing. I always say God. And if you don't believe in God, good or the direction. But I'm looking forward to seeing how that program is gonna grow. I'm looking forward to getting my back. I don't know if I'm going to complete my bachelor's degree this year. I don't know how many classes I have left. Um, I'm going to have a senior in high school this year. What's that like, man? Raising a teenager. Recovery is for a reason. Yeah. It helps. You know, I got people, Robert H. It's a guy named Robert H, man. He raised his daughter, bro. I'm talking about, like, I know some giants, bro. Like, my predecessors, I can really look back at my predecessors and say, you know, they might be aggressive, they might be this and that, but they bought that life. You know, I had to hit Robert H. up uh, many a times and ask him for advice, you know, about parenting. You know, because it's hard, especially when you have a pretty daughter. My, I have a beautiful daughter, you know, and and it's rough, you know, and, and she's dating now, you know, and I, I work out. You know, I work out, I do cardio and all that. I whoop a nigga ass, bro. <laughs> nah, <I'm just> <laughs> nah, but like, like I, I, I love my daughter, man, and I'm and I'm prayed up. You know, it's not it's not easy. You know, we 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 have difference in in opinion. I have a 13 year old, you know, and me and her, uh, me and her kind of we've been beefing here back and forth. It's it's parenting is a trip, man. Yeah. Parenting to make you go to church. How much of them do you see, do you see yourself in them? Oh God. I see me all in my oldest, like yeah. from swag to popularity. Like I seen her come out the house last night. We went and got ice cream. I, when I seen her come out the house, she looked a little bit like my mom coming down the stairs. But you know, I, and I see that. And then my thirteen year old, you know, when she when she gets mad, she looks like her mom. 
And um, but she, you know, she I don't know, man, it's rough. That's that's the one that I'm worried about. <laughs> but I'm pray like I say, I prayed up and I have a team of change agents that supporting me, you know, and um and me and her mom, we co parent and we do the best we can. You know, but that's that's the thing about having kids out of wedlock, man. I believe it's a price to pay behind that. You know, it's some struggles yeah. that come. That I believe it's some additional struggles that come from that as well. Um, you mentioned to in your like bio that you sent me earlier, one of the places that you find some serenity is the gym. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what what that's like. How do you how do you like? Is that something you've always done? Is it something that you? kind of learned along this process of recovery. So what does that provide for you? So the thing is, bro, when I was when I was on the yard, right? When I was on the yard, I can remember I was supposed to have I was supposed to have a visit. I was walking at Craggy, anybody that's been to Craggy, they already know what I'm talking about. I was walking back and forth up the walkway waiting on my visit to come. My visit never showed. I was fresh. I had my little oil on, had my, my brand new new balances on. I was fresh. I was ready for my visit, ready to see my kids and all that, whatever. Didn't show. It crushed me. I want to say this happened in 2009, and it crushed me. And uh, I can remember going on a going on a weight pile, pissed off, pull-ups, dips, push-ups, lifting heavy weight, walking laps, talking to my bro GA, free GA, one of the best friends I ever had, I met in uh, Craig Correctional Center. Um, and I seen that it worked. Like, it was something that I could really, that I really do. And it, and it takes the stress off. I can be pissed off, but I work the stress off, you know, get something to eat. And, you know, and then I'm tired. I'm too tired to be too mad. To worry about anything. Yeah. And also, like, sometimes <laughs> I do it to prepare myself for a rough day or for a very, for a potentially, uh, intense day like today that I knew, you did this morning yeah like because i knew the day was gonna be intense bro for one because i have my my um my baby girl my five-year-old well, well juju is my youngest child but my five-year-old um stays at our house sometimes thursday to sun thursday through monday sometimes friday through monday and so i knew i was gonna i was gonna have to fight fight her getting her up because they stayed up late but I also knew that I had a busy schedule. Like I had back-to-back meetings as well as uh, a caseload to attend to. So I knew it was going to be intense, plus getting ready for this meeting tomorrow. And so I went to the gym because I said, you know what? I'm finna make sure that I get this out and feel good about myself, you know, and be at peace. And got it out of the way, and I went to work. When I And when I got home, like I said, you know, I got that call from my bro, Michael Hall. It was, it's crazy how the God of my understanding works, bro. Because he just hit me out of nowhere. Talking about, he was like, he's like, hey, bro. It's a, and that's how he talked, but this was a text. I'm sounding like how he talks, <laughs> but in the text. That's what you heard when you read yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, bro, call me. Call me ASAP. You know what I'm saying? And I hit him up. And he was like, God want me to pray for you. Ready? And I hit my knees. You know, and I and I and then we went, and, he, and he prayed over the phone. You know what I'm saying? And after he finished praying, I was I, it was like I was ready. Like me and my five year old, we was beefing this morning. You know, I don't know what the hell was wrong with her this morning. She got up, she was tripping. I had, a, you know, we didn't have waffles, but we had chocolate chip pe- pancakes. Was it good enough? Golly, Lord <laughs> help me. So, so me and her beefing. I was, I was wanting to whoop her this morning, but you know, I'm one of, I'm a hard daddy, but I'm a soft daddy. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, me and her beefing. By the time I got off of that prayer, 
I went in there and I poured her some drink in her little princess cup. And then I, I had a sausage biscuit. She didn't want to eat none of that other stuff. I said, here, why don't you try a couple bites of this croissant sandwich? And she she looking at me with that face. I heard, just taste the bread. Because you know croissant sandwich yeah. bread is uh -huh. amazing. Uh -huh. But uh, she had a piece of the bread. And she looked at me and I knew she was bought because croissant. <laughs> and then I then I brought her little favorite chips over there. You know, they have these, you know, the uh, Chex Mix. Yeah. You know, the little brown Melba. Whatever, yeah, yeah, well, they yeah. have a bag just full of those. Okay, so I took, I, I snuck over there and took it out. Look, just after that prayer, it gave me peace. I didn't want to fight no more. This here's my peace offering to my five year old. Yeah. <laughs> you Work. know what I'm saying? Living proof, bro. Yep. <laughs> Alabama or Clemson? Man, Richie Tannehill asked me that today. Shout out to Richie Tannehill, man. Man, I'm talking about he the white version of me. You know what I'm saying, Richie? I bet you won't grow a beard. So but, uh, I met Richie before I met you. Yeah. And so like when I was talking to some of my close friends around here and telling them that you were coming on tonight, yeah. I was like, yeah, he's like the Richie of, you're like, you're like the Richie of Asheville. <laughs> That's what I was telling people. But yeah, he, he came by, he asked me that today. And I think he said, I want to say he said that his favorite team was Nebraska and anybody just playing Alabama. Yeah, okay. But I have two people that's somewhat close to me that, you know, have played for both of them teams. Like, I used to go to the same church at Sycamore at, with uh, Cresden Butler. And um, and then uh, Jeffrey Pagan's mom and I used to go to the River of Life. So, I mean, shout out to both of them teams. But in this change agency that I'm on right now, bro, I am not keeping up with sports or politics. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I'll be at the gym on the elliptical. I might be catching up, seeing what they got to say about that wall. Yeah. <laughs> but just, I, just so you can get your tax return yeah. in a month. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't. I don't really keep up with with sports and stuff like that. I watch World Star at night, and I and I watch sermons. Mm -hmm. I watch sermons, and I window shop. And listen, I got a little bit of money, and I'll buy some. I'll buy something off of eBay, but um, I don't do a lot of watching sports. The politics is a slippery slope, but mm -hmm. like in this like recovery advocacy circles, it does play like somewhat yeah. of a yeah certain issues. Yeah. You know, it does play somewhat of a vital role, like you yeah. know, elected officials and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, you ever thought about? Getting involved? Uh, a couple of people have asked me. I, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it's gonna happen. It, I mean, if I stay in Asheville, it has to. I would, I would, I would be considered. It would be considered robbery if I didn't get into politics. Mm -hmm. If I stayed in Asheville and didn't become some type of politician on some level, it would be robbery to the city. Considering to the community, to the community mm -hmm. considering the connections I have. In the black community, the white community, the rich community, the poor community, the trailer parts. I mean, I'm good from Pisco View to, to Biltmore Forest. Yeah. You feel me? So it would be robbery to the community if I didn't. But, like, not yet. Because I'm trying to solidify something. This program, this would be amazing. Like, you, if, if I could rewind time to when I was in the human services program, I wish Megan Getty Odom still had the assignments. We had an assignment where we were supposed to create a program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and did I, that. And I was, this is it. It was like, this, a, case, what like I, a case what management I, class or something I like that? I forget what it was. Yeah. It was one of them. But I was talking about creating a program for former offenders way back then, 2000, whatever it was, 2012 maybe. And Six years later, you're doing it. Yeah. But, you know, and as far as like the talks about like race and stuff, like to be honest, the way I, I feel like recovering addicts is a race. Yeah. You know, like, we, and, and I feel like Form ex-offenders is a race. Mm -hmm. You know, sure, white privilege exists even when you have backgrounds, and I see it all the time, you know. But at the same time, 
we all face that same, we all face that, that similar struggle of reentering society, you know, and, um, and so I don't really get heavy in the race and I'm careful with the politics. Now, when I was in school, I was in the microeconomics and the macroeconomics and I almost wanted, I was ready to get in it real quick then. And I was making certain posts and people was pissing me off. <laughs> My boy Alicon would call me out because Alicon is one of them people like you get a job and you work somewhere and you get close with somebody and they help you grow. This guy, um, you know, um, he would sharpen me. He would help me understand what I just posted. Yeah. <laughs> like I would post I hope it. you understand it. <laughs> I hope you understand who all you affected with that post. Did you think about that? And then I'm like feeling stupid. Like, well, I ain't posting that. I'm F politics, you know. Because, you know. it Sounds like a good PR guy for your uh, future campaign you're about to run. <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah. Man, you're a sticker guy, man? Oh, yeah, man. I bought my water bottle in here. Yeah, I got all the stickers, and each one of these, uh, each one of these, uh, serves a purpose, man. I don't know if they can see if they yeah, can, can see. see it. I can see it. They can see it. They can see it. What, so, uh, what you know about some East Bay, man? East Bay. That's we grew up. Shoot, man, I grew up looking. Yeah. I grew up having wet dreams walking uh -huh. in that East Bay, <laughs> man. Yeah. I wanted all the shoes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm a city shoe, and then what the shoe? You know. This right here, Vape Company, Kale. I love me some Kale. You know what that is. I can't promote that one, but mm -hmm. I keep it on my MacBook. What are your thoughts on that? On this one? On that. Promotion. Yeah. I respect the traditions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now I wear a sticker, and or I wear, you know, I wear some shirts that are, like, discreet about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, out of respect for the traditions, like, I don't promote a specific program because it's based on attraction rather than promotion. But I live a life to where people gonna ask me how how do you do it? Yeah. And then I can tell you. Yeah. But it ain't, hey, you should do this program. Cause other programs work too. Yeah. You know, it's different 12 step programs in existence. You know, like right now, I to be honest, for the past since what, May? Since uh since my my mama passed away, I've been more active in CR. What does CR provide that? CR is celebrate recovery. It's yeah. it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like it's 12 steps is with Jesus. Like the serenity prayer is a little bit longer. You know, and it has more Jesus in it and the Bible, like you go deeper in the Bible. So now, it's, it's more in line with your spirituality, yeah. you would say? Yeah, but I'm not leaving the other fellowship. Like okay. like I said, man, I'm really considering and asking, but hey, hey, remind me, I want to make that 1230 meeting. That's the third time you said group. it. Yeah. I want to make it my home group and I'm got to figure out a way to commit to it at least once a week, 1230 on a lunch break. Um, But um. But I'll never leave because that's the foundation. And I feel mm -hmm. like it would be robbery if I left it, you know, because for one, it ain't that many young black men in recovery. For two, it ain't but so many young people who are staying and staying mm -hmm. spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, because I see some people get clean time and and then they get caught up in that, that money, property and prestige or chasing tail, you know. So I, I have to be there to continue to be what it looks like. I mean, there's yeah. no model for the recovering addict, but I have to be the model model sometimes within, within, you know, cause in Asheville, we're saturated, bro. Yeah. To be honest, we got a whole bunch of treatment centers. We got a whole bunch of newcomers. We got a whole bunch of halfway houses. So somebody, you know, somebody's got to be like, you know, there to hold these youngins accountable and demonstrate and demonstrate and speak their language. Yeah. You know, it's someone the same that they can message. relate to, like those guys that were there when you first walked Facts. in. The mm -hmm. same way that they did for me. Now, they was a lot older than me, you know, but I was just taught by them so I can still take what they gave me 
and use a language that they that the younger generation speaks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm blessed to be in this position, and there's other people like me. Like I, I mean, I, 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 I'm to the point now to where yes, I will say I got the juice. Like I, I can be cocky at times, but I'm also humble. You know what I'm saying? Cause I know for a fact that I slipped. Like I done cussed on here a couple times, and I said my New Year's my my New Year's resilience was gonna be to watch my potty mouth. Hell, I've been cussing on here already. You know I'm defected. I'm insecure. I'm jealous. I envy. You know I got I got issues. But when it come down to carrying a message to the newcomer, shoot, I try to be flawless yeah. as 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 flawless as I can be because I know that their life depends on it. You know, it ain't just about making me look good. It's about saving your life, you know? And not just their life, but the yeah. future generation's life. the future life. generation. And just like I said, I go back, you know, and it's interesting. It's interesting because, you know, the 12 steps came from the Holy Bible, period. But, you know, in the steps, uh, um, it, it, it talks about, you know, in, in uh, I forget what chapter it is. It said the only way to keep what we have is by giving it away. And one of the reasons it says the only way to keep what we have is by giving it away, right? And... In the Proverbs, it says that we preserve knowledge. We preserve wisdom. Uh, let our lips preserve wisdom and knowledge. So in order for me to stay sharp, I got to be talking it. I got to be delivering. I got to be teaching it. And in order for me to have peace, I got to, ha I got to be a man of integrity. So if I'm talking it, I'm also walking it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, it's, it's my obligation to carry the message, but it's also my obligation to operate as a man of integrity, you know, and with that whole casserole put together, that thing cheesy like something from Olive Garden, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I got my bros holding me accountable, making sure that I'm a man of integrity. That takes humility, right? But I'm carrying in the message because I have to do service, and that's honesty, but I'm walking it out. And so they're seeing me talking it and walking it, and now they start trying it out and it works for them. Then they teach other people how to do it and it's a domino effect. Yeah. And all of a sudden... You're influencing we, major change. Yeah. And somebody did it for me. You know, like mm -hmm. my grand sponsor. He's been a man. He, man, he got, a, he got more clean time than I've been alive. Yeah. You know, he's been clean for a long time. 42, 44. He up there. But you were fortunate to get clean at an early age yourself to, mm -hmm. to where at some point yeah. you're going to be that cat. Yeah, because I got clean at 24. Yeah. You know, I got clean at 24 years old, bro. You know, and it was unique getting out, being young, you know, right through the hood. Because I was the kind of guy, when I got out of prison, I still liked to ride through the hood because I was driving driving a Honda. <laughs> My daddy had me a Honda Accord. It was a newer Honda Accord. It was like a 2000, 2006. It was a newer Honda Accord. I used to like to ride through the hood with my music up loud, you know, so people could see me. Look at me. I'm clean. Look at my dreads. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Fresh. And uh, I can remember being in the hood and smelling that weed. I'm like, ooh, boy. Temptation you know? there? Yeah. But... And I, it didn't take me long to learn that lesson, you know, not to be around it, cause, you know, I don't want I don't want to keep tempting myself and then change my clean date. Not today, no sir. How'd you get into the public speaking, and then what like, what influenced you to kind of pursue that as like a kind of side gig? Uh, really, <laughs> I keep recovery no, has all, been yeah, good no. to me. Uh -huh. No, no, I think this radio show has taught me that recovery has really been good. I mean, this not just this taught me, but it was it's good, it's refreshing, because I started out speaking at recovery meetings, at celebrations, mm -hmm. and a lot of different people would get me to share because, like I said, like I'm basically sharing what my predecessors gave me. I just speaking in my in the language that I speak, and um, 
and continuing to do that. I've spoken Clemson, spoken Shelby, spoken Durham, spoke man, I spoke a lot of a lot of different places. But like um like my boy, my boy Kenny Lake was the first one to invite me to speak somewhere that was outside of a recovery meeting, like to his to his boys. And um and that did something for me. And then, you know, um the next place that I spoke I spoke at a scholarship. I don't know. It, it just started happening. The more people would come up to me and tell me, like, man, man, we love it. Blah, blah, blah. I just kept, I, I got more and more confident. And then I, I ended up, I started to run groups. Like, uh, Susan let me started paying me to run groups so, well, some years ago and started doing like that. And it just turned into being a motivational speaker, man. Cause I, and I watch motivational speakers. It's basically just them telling their story, bits and pieces, how they made it through, some of the hardest things they went through. They didn't think they could go through, talk loud a little bit, make people laugh a little bit, but tell the truth, of course. I mean, that's all it really is. Authentic you know? honesty. Off- Ooh, authentic honesty. Ah, uh-huh. A-H. Uh-huh. That's my new thing. Ah. <laughs> Sometimes uh-huh. you just got to, ah. Odd out, baby. Yeah, authentic um. honesty. Ooh, you done gave me something else. Oh, you know what I want to do, man? I'd like to come check out Elevation Church with you one Sunday. What you think about that? Think me oh, and my man. girl bring her kid over there, come check it out with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually got good stuff. We actually got good stuff for the kids. Yeah, good, good stuff for the kids. The uh, e kids, man, is is awesome. They keep they have the kids remembering verses and playing. They got theater. Like it's a nice setup that we okay. have at Elevation Church, bro. It is a really nice setup, man, and and that's why I keep going too, man. Cause my kids, they love church, and whatever church I go to, they have to have something good for the children. Cause I want my children to be able to learn as soon as possible. Cause this younger generation, we're losing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know how many Philip Coopers does it take to influence massive change in the these younger generations? You know how many guys like. To be honest, what, bro. Can we see it? Like, will we see it in our lifetime? Ah, ah, ah. Dang, you see how the ah just, yeah. just uh, organically came out? Ah, authentic ah. honesty. So let me get, I'm going to answer that question in two ways. So first off, you said, how many Philip Coopers do we need? I'm going to say, you need one Philip Cooper, but you got a Michael Hall, you got a Tony Shoes, you got an Andre Aaron, you got an Adrian Coffey, you got a Ryan Gray, you got a uh, Brent Bailey, you got a Jonathan Knight, you got a... Uh, you got a whole bunch. You got a Gene Edison. You got a whole bunch of us. We coming. We coming. We coming. You got a Wallace Sexton. We coming, bro. We coming. You got a, a, a Michael Woods overseeing us. You got a Tillman Jackson. We coming, bro. You know we we all over the place. We coming. We got a Michael Hall. We ain't playing no games. We coming. You know what I'm saying? We got we got an Austin Crawford. We got all kind of change agents. They're coming. They're coming. But there are more people to come, and it takes now. The part that makes me unique is because I'm still out in the community searching for these diamonds in the rough. Like, I want to make sure that these people get heard of. I want to make sure that these people get opportunities. You know what I'm saying? To be in a position to affect change, you know? But the second part of it is like, do I really think that it's going to get better? Now, some people might disagree with this, but this is just the answer because this is a very religious answer. And I got to be real, authentic honesty. Ah, uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I believe in the entire Holy Word. 
I don't believe just bits and pieces of it. I believe in the entire Holy Word. I believe that God parted the Red Sea. I don't know what it looked like, but I believe he parted the Red Sea. People went through it. I believe he rose Lazarus from the dead. I believe that uh, this lady named Sarah was old as a mug and messed around and got a prego. <laughs> you know, I believe all of that. I also believe that, you know, my Savior rose from the dead. Like a lot of things that people will only say exist in movies, but I believe all of these things occur. Um, but when you get to the book of Revelations, you, you, you hear, and in other books, you hear about how in the last days, you know, how the youth would be out of control against parents and how sexual immorality would be prevalent and stuff like that. But um, that's what I believe. But that's not going to stop me from still trying to change the world one person at a time when I see people who are trying to help themselves. So that's what my mission is until I leave this earth and I'm not going to stop. You know, and everybody aren't proud or aren't or don't profess Christianity. And I help anybody. Anybody that's hurting, I help them. And a lot of times just that will 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 um kind of bring a person in. Yeah. You know, that's the invitation sometimes. I think that um we're at a pretty crucial point mm-hmm. in the opportunity mm-hmm. because of the tech boom we have an opportunity to kind of touch these kids mm-hmm. if we begin to use these tools that we've been given mm-hmm. in a way that the youth can connect with us and relate to us and hear us, mm-hmm. right? Like things like this podcast and yeah. things like your like motivational speaking and those videos you post mm-hmm. and, and like more opportunities like using it on YouTube. And as mm-hmm. the tech continues to grow... Oh, and yeah, you know, like, um, in uh, with like virtual reality and mm-hmm. things like that, where like we can like use these tools in a healthy way to connect with the youth and spread this positive message. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some crazy shit coming out. I saw a drone today that you fly with your brain. What you put this thing on your head? It looks like these headphones we're yeah. wearing, and it's a little drone, like you, yeah. like people would fly. And you literally put it on your head and you fly it with your brain. Yeah. Like, it's they coming, getting, dude. They getting in our heads. It's, it's coming. going down. Yeah, so, like, how can we... you? Because, like, there's so much crap on there yeah. on social media. Yeah. There's so... How do you, you know, There's so much crap. I don't know. Somebody told me... Well, uh, Hassie, Hassie, a good friend of mine, she works over at uh, at uh, ARC. Mm-hmm. She was telling me that I needed to utilize uh, YouTube and you stuff do. more, but I, I just hadn't got into it because, like, like I say, bro, like... This mission I'm on right now with the workforce development for the ex-offenders, yeah. like it's got me. Yeah. Yeah, I've all the way given that my all until mm-hmm. it comes to fruition. And then once it comes to fruition, then I'm going to be able to go out in the community to place people in that in that to help run it. Mm-hmm. You know, And then I can kind of back back a little bit and maybe put more time into that. But I definitely want to do it because I got a lot to say. Like yeah. I be at home sometimes and I'll <laughs> say something to my damn self and be like, damn. Write that down. <laughs> or either I'll hear somebody say something and I'll borrow it and, and I'll say it. it. Yeah, and I'll and I'll yeah. add it into something Spend I say. It. Yeah. And it's like Yeah, I got a buddy that's got a YouTube channel up in New York City. Yeah. He lives right in Manhattan, right in the mm-hmm. middle of it all. And he just does like little like one, two minute little videos to mm-hmm. to the kids, to youth mm-hmm. on like just general topics mm-hmm. of um you know living right and he's got a pretty significant following he's looking for people to do little add some videos help him out a little I bit. know another thing that I'm that I'm really that I'm really hoping can happen man you know like I said I had that meeting with my brother my doppelganger Richie Tannehill today and like if 
if we can get peer well, if we can get certified peer supports in the school, it's on. Mm-hmm. Like because it's it's a unique service, but we I, I can only imagine what type of impact we can have on these. And I mean, young girls need help too, but I can only imagine what type of impact this could have on some of these at-risk youth Mm -hmm. to have a certified peer support mentor or, you know what I'm saying, or coach or whatever, however this thing can happen. That would would rock the world. You know what I'm saying? That would definitely rock the world because I know some kids that just gravitate towards me because they don't see a male enough. They don't see a a, a male, a a grown-up male enough, and they see you, and they just gravitate towards you, just asking questions, messing with you, just wanting attention. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's that's the missing piece to the puzzle is, Mm -hmm. like, the positive mentorship. Yeah. And I kind of asked you that at the very beginning of the show, like, who were your your mentors? Yeah. And that's kind of like why, because I think that's the missing piece. And now it's, like, finding Mm -hmm. the mentors and then connecting them with the youth. And me, man, I got I got a sponsor. I, I got a sponsor in well, with me being active in two programs, I have two sponsors. I have a sponsor in each one. Mm-hmm. One of the sponsors I don't talk to as much, but I still talk to him on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis just to check in out of respect for his time that he has put in to me. And then the other one I see on a weekly basis and we have a step study. You know, and I don't really talk to him as much about my issues as I do the other sponsor, but he's the one that's going through the steps with me, right? And then I have uh, a guy that I deal with for like a mentor with business related things. His name is uh, Dr. Joseph Fox. He was one of the first people that invested in me when I went in my college career, you know. And then I have Theo, my brother Theo. He's a minister at the River of Life. And me and him talk, you know what I'm saying? And he's a person that is ready to sharpen me at the drop. I could call him right now during this show. And if he don't answer, he'll probably text or either call right back and say, what's up, bro? You good? You know, and, and, and I need, but I need all of that. I need, mm-hmm. I need spirit. I need spiritual guidance, like Christian, Christian based spiritual guidance. I need in a guidance from working within that model. Cause that model is a little different from when you add the religion to it. It is. And then I also need, you know, guidance with business affairs because I, I like in, in recovery, I learned that we must remain teachable. You know what I'm saying? And another thing I heard is you can't graft a new idea onto a closed mind. And I know for a fact I don't know everything. That's one thing I do know. And it's, it's just a blessing to have people that's willing to teach and and invest in me, you know. Still to this mm-hmm. day. Even to, Yeah, still to this day. That's beautiful, man. Well, hey, we're going to have to wrap it up. Okay. It's a little after 9 o'clock, man. Is it, yeah. It's a little after Man, nine. getting it in. Y'all got a long drive ahead of you. I'm going to give you one of these NC Raw stickers. Oh, you got something got to go. You could slap Let's that. See. No, you could slap it anywhere you want. You can go on your cup or something if you want. You don't have to. Okay, you don't have to. Rep- got you don't got to go. replace nothing, man. Something got to go. Um, how, You got any closing words? And how can like our audience find you, connect with you, Instagram, Twitter, yeah, audience, Facebook? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Philip Cooper. I'm on Snapchat. Uh, I think it's Change Agent Cooper. I'm on Instagram, Change Agent Cooper. And you're going to get the same me on all three of them because the only thing I got is authenticity. And I, I can't wear a mask because if you rock with me, you rock with me because I'm real. So what I say on my Snap, I say on my Facebook, I say on my Insta, and I say on my LinkedIn. In closing words, I'm just going to say this. It's a prayer that I got from a place. I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thy will. Deliver me from the bondage of self that I may better do thy will.
relieve me of my difficulties, that victory over them would bear witness to those that I would help of thy love, thy power, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always with the emphasis on, with the emphasis on, relieve me of my difficulties, take away my difficulties with the emphasis on that. Because as people see me make it through my difficulties, it's going to bear witness of who my God is and what the God of my understanding can do. Thank I'll you, bro. That. I appreciate you, man. My man. Thank y'all for tuning in to NC Raw. Hit up our website at www.ncraw.life to subscribe to the podcast. We'll email you exclusive content every time we release a new show. And we will, we got, we got, I'll hit you guys in the intro, but we have two additional shows this week. We're, <coughs> excuse me, we are coming to Asheville twice. Thir- oh. Thursday night, Jennifer Nicolaisen of, um, what's the, Damn, I'm having a brain fart. Jennifer. Jennifer. The um the peer group that's about connection. I don't know what am I talking about? Thursday night we're doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm having a brain fart right now. I'm and sorry. then Friday, Friday around noon mm-hmm. at Making Whole, my man uh Jeremy French. Okay. He does the woodworking shop for people in recovery. He takes on apprentices and teaches them a trade and a skill, teaches them how to, someone you need to connect with. Okay. Um, teaches them how to, how to build custom furniture through this apprenticeship. And Jeremy also, French. Jeremy French, yeah. Called, the, the business is called Making Whole. We're doing a podcast and a lunch. So we're inviting this everybody. in Asheville. <laughs> in Asheville. We're inviting everybody to lunch. We're going we're gonna to have lunch together. And do a little bit of a little podcast and like mm-hmm. talk to each other and stuff. Okay. So my voice, I'm losing my voice. So y'all have an awesome night. <coughs> Bless up. Bless up. Thanks for checking us out. Good night.